Liquid Courage, the podcast where I, Amanda Pereira, sit down with a fellow artist that I admire and ask them the questions I've never had the guts to ask them before. Sounds scary? Well, it is. So I use a little liquid courage in the form of their favorite drink. We cheers, chat, and connect as I attempt to soak up all the wisdom they have to offer. Today, I sit down with Christy LaPointe and we drink some dirty, dirty vodka martinis. Christy is such a powerhouse in creating opportunities for herself to both write and act in, including CBC Comedy's Yoga 101 series and Typecast, a horror comedy short film featured at the Bloody Mary Film Festival that you'll hear us mention in this episode. Christy's first ever feature screenplay, Let's Do This, which she co-wrote alongside her husband Chris, was selected for the Breaking Through the Lens program, the Harold Greenberg funding, and was optioned for development. She hosts her very own podcast, Spilling Eve, a weekly podcast that celebrates and breaks down each episode of the amazing dark comedy series, Killing Eve. It's because of her podcast that I got into the show, and I'm so glad I did. Christy also has her own plant-based food blog, where she shares delicious plant-based meals that she loves to help fight fucked up diet culture bullshit while encouraging others to do the same. So Christy is a screenwriter, an actor, and someone I admire immensely. Hi, Christy. Amanda, hello. <laughs> Christy, hello. I start every episode saying hi as if we weren't just chatting to get set up. You know, it's very strange start. Also, my voice just like changed to a different octave than we've been talking <laughs> in the whole time. I got very Roz <laughs> from Frasier. I wish, I wish. Oh my God, Christy, that is a thing that intimidates me about you is that you are so good with references, especially like like 90s and 2000s like sitcoms and stuff that I I realized when because of course you were a person I was like I have to get on the podcast and I was like oh she intimidates me because I worry that I don't know enough about the things she likes and I want to impress her isn't that a little sad it's very playgroundy it's very (laughs) funny because it's also like something we all are feeling all the time about most people like I grew up very sheltered and Mm. I wasn't allowed to like watch the Simpsons or, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, 90s panic shit. And so (laughs) I have felt for a long time, like I'm playing catch up pop culture wise. Interesting. Really? Like I watched some stuff in high school and like I was aware, but like it wasn't until I moved out of the house that I was able to sort of have free reign to the catalog yeah. of like film and television. Yeah. And so I constantly feel like people reference things and I'm just, I don't, I don't get them. Like the Simpsons is a real Chris. My husband is, yeah. grew up on the Simpsons as did most people in our generation. <laughs> yeah. And so it has been like a years long process of a Simpsons education for me and me understanding like <laughs> retroactively, oh, that's what everyone's always talking about. Oh, you want to go on Instagram and find like that girl from the seventh grade to be like, I understand the joke you made in class. It's yeah, actually like, really funny. I guess I am a bit of a Lisa Simpson. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, okay. Whoever called me Maggie, they were off. I'm a Lisa. Yeah, yeah rude, totally. Rude, rude. Rude, uh, rude. Also, who calls me a Maggie? <laughs> I'm like, that's so nice, Amanda. I honestly, I love television so much. When Mm. I was younger, like in my early 20s, I Mm -hmm. feel like my personality was sort of pop culture. I love pop culture. (laughs) And I'm thrilled to be 31 and so out of touch and not know anything that's (laughs) going on and like 
have to ask the young nieces and people in my life to <laughs> decipher things. Uh, but television is just, it's my favorite thing in the world. Mm. So whether it's sort of analytically more for work or just mm-hmm. zoning out, like I watch too much TV. Oh my so God, I yeah. know that a lot. It's only because I spend like majority of my time <laughs> watching television watching television okay I feel like also what I keep doing to my guests is I like get excited talking to them and then they don't know if they can take their first drink yet mm, mm. so for listeners I can see she has a beautiful drink we are drinking dirty uh vodka martinis today are you also drinking Tito's I only got it because you emailed me yes yes okay, in my it. opinion Tito's yes. is one of the only acceptable vodka <gasps> I have never had Tito's. So this is my first time. And I purposely didn't try it before because I'm like, I'm going to wait. Okay. I'll be really curious to hear what you think. Okay. This is another one of those. I didn't drink vodka in high school, so I never got sick. I don't have bad associations with it. So Mm. I still love and enjoy it as an adult. Yeah. But I do find that you want a little bit, I don't want to say higher end, but like better flavor. I don't know. Cheers. Like different than Smirnoff. Cheers. Cheers. Anything, but I've graduated from Smirnoff. Mm. Oh my God. This is so fucking good. I put Mm. so Mm. much olive juice in. Yes. I can see mine is filthy. filthy. I love it. So this is my favorite drink. A dirty vodka martini is my favorite drink of all time. I don't think I knew that. I definitely didn't. No, you didn't. Why would I know that? (laughs) And no one's chosen it. And I'm like, I was so excited when you chose it. I love dirty vodka martinis. Well, one of the last times you and I probably saw each other in person was we went to the Luma Lounge at TIFF at the TIFF Bell Lightbox. And they have a wonderful happy hour. It's the best kept secret in the city. And they have martinis for like significantly cheaper than they normally sell them. And that is my go-to order there because it's just, I will be like, please bring me 50 olives, 500 (laughs) olives. Like I don't care. Splash of odd, but like all the olives in the world, it's basically a snack and a drink. It absolutely is. It's so good. Actually, I was trying to think about, I think in, in my, I was gonna say in my whole life or like our whole time knowing each other, I think we have hung out three times. One was Luna lounge for drinks where genuinely that was like my one sex in the city moment of my life. I was like, oh my God, Christy asked me out for cocktails. Like I'll go to a bar and I'll order like, what is your cheapest beer? Like yeah. I'm oh. so cheap. And, but I don't like that because I think at certain bars, if I, if I know the owner, where the fuck am I going that I own, know the <laughs> owner? But if it's like a comedy bar or something, I, yes. I want to, I want to support it. Sure. But when I go out, yeah, typically I'm like, cocktails are too expensive, but there, cause it was something like half off or something. It was amazing. Yeah, well, like we live in a major world city to get yeah. a cocktail at a bar can be like $20, which Ridiculous. is too much. That's too much. too much for a broke artist to spend on yeah. a single drink. One but- drink that can be like four beers. Crazy. Yeah, I, I forget what it was, but it was something like six or seven dollars instead yeah. of 15. Yeah, and- yeah, exactly. Oh, it was so good. I think it was that time. One other time we went with um Adele Dix and Emma Carter to Graceland, which was also so fun. And then the third time was me asking you out for like a lunch or a brunch or something to pick your brain to ask you, Christy, how do I podcast? I think those were the three times we've ever hung out. And every time was so enjoyable. And I always like, oh, and we hung out on set. Uh, That's a lie. But I guess I didn't count those because it wasn't and uh, and typecast for yours and mine. Of course. Yeah. Well, it's funny that I think about that uh, night with Adele and Emma Carter a lot because that is like how we know each other is one of my best friends and one of your best friends did Second City Conservatory together. 
but we're friends of friends is how we started. It's so cute. I know, I know. And it was so, the four of us had never hung out together, even though different sort of variations of the four of us had. And it was the best night. It was so much fun. It just felt like just this beautiful moment. And then Emma flew back to Australia or Ugh. California or wherever. And wherever. I was like, well, Jet this could have been a beautiful babysitter's club. But- it really could have been. Well, and here I am like, oh my God, what babysitter's club references do I know? None of them. What's for, okay, girls, we could be girls. But I'm like, <laughs> well, I don't know. They're, they don't really love each other that much, but we could be something where they love each other. We could be four friends and let's do this. But we'll come yes. back to that. Yes, oh my God. Right. Can you tell I've been researching you? Okay. Uh, I'm so oh. uncomfortable. I'm so. I'm like, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> this is how I feel in therapy. And I've also been doing my therapy oh, like online. And yeah, I've just too. gotten to yeah. the point where it takes all of my power to not stop midway and, <laughs> and try to turn around the conversation to her. I just want to be like, can you tell me something about your life, please? <laughs> Oh my God. That is so funny. You should try it and see how they handle it. I bet you. She has extremely strong boundaries. I'm also upset (laughs) because she doesn't follow me on Instagram, obviously, but like I have a food Instagram that I love and it's my favorite hobby, but I'm not going to bring it up. I want her to bring it up, which I know she will never do. She's a great therapist, but a little part of me is always like, you haven't even stalked me on the internet yet. Do you like, love me what at the all? Hell, do you even care about me or is this just a financial <laughs> transaction? You know that I've actually started in my therapy sessions. If I have thoughts like that, like, like, oh, what is she writing down? Or like, oh, wow, I'm telling a story. And I see that she picked up her mug to take a drink of coffee or she looks off to the left. I'm like, well, I guess she doesn't give a shit about this story. I guess I'll remember never to tell her a story about this. I actually, t- I've started telling her, I'll be like, Oh, yeah. Hey, I just felt really insecure when you look to the left and then we fucking talk about it and it's the most uncomfortable thing ever. And then I'm so happy we did. I promise you. Anyway, that is no, good shit. <laughs> I think I just like, I think I just like advised you on how to get therapy. And that is a disgusting moment for myself. <laughs> I'm going to take that not. back, but it's been an interesting situation of being like, or like, since we've been doing online therapy and she's in her home office. hmm I'm finding myself trying to piece together what kind of person she is based on her background and then try and make her happy. I'm like, oh, you have a salt lamp. I have a salt lamp. Should I just mention my salt lamp in a story? Did my partner and I ever get in a fight about the salt lamp that I could just throw in that I have a salt or like books on her table? Like, what is she reading? Who are her pictures? It's so I had to tell her. Let's just say if you and I were a couple, we would be every therapist's worst nightmare. (laughs) 100%. Oh, we do so much work. All I want is therapists to like me. My first therapist was so beautiful. She was like the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And so when I would talk about my insecurities as like a 23 year old, yeah, be like, oh, mm, I don't quite understand. And I was like, I know oh. you don't understand. You're a supermodel. <laughs> Why am I talking to you? And then she wouldn't laugh at my jokes. Like she didn't find me funny. Oh. I don't think she found anything funny. And it was great for me because instead of my defense mechanism, just being like sarcasm, divert, divert. She just stare at me blankly and be like, why did you say that? Fucking nightmare. Also probably the potential for a breakthrough, but like yeah. awful. It was, of course it you wanted to like you. Yeah. Also I want, I need you to understand me. If anyone understands me, I need my therapist to understand me. Yeah. Big time. You know, as we sit here with our fucking vodka, therapist, you got to understand who we are. Get a um, handle of Tito's vodka, then you'll get into Tito's. my mind. I should go into my therapy, my online therapy session with a dirty martini and just see what she says. She's so great. I think my therapist is like a superhero. 
Um, that's so wonderful. But yeah, it is. It is really wonderful. Um, okay. I have been a fan of yours for goddamn years. So I feel like I know a lot about you, but then I also know that I don't know a lot about you because I have not reached out to hang out because I've been scared. So I learned, which I felt very silly, not knowing I learned that you were born in South Africa. I was, I'm a little surprised you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Also, is that something that people cling to? I feel like people would ask you about that a lot and just like grab it and cling to it all the time. Oh yeah. Let's just say when Mean Girls came out, uh, (laughs) a lot of quotes directed my way. I was also homeschooled for a couple years, like not in South Africa, but the combo of those and people knowing those two things about me. uh, And like not the worst person to be compared to a young, beautiful Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's definitely not something I lead with because it does tend to become the conversation. And like, I loved growing up in South Africa. I was born there. I lived there till I was nine. I have the best memories from there. Uh, both of my sisters were also born there. It was like, uh, an incredible, incredible way to sort of like start life. But like it, I left when I was nine. Yeah. Like it's, it's a big part of my childhood and sort of where I come from, but it's not like a huge part of my day-to-day identity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it was something where it's funny. There was, well, I went deep diving in the internet, but there's some random website that like, I guess is trying to be like Wikipedia, I think, but for film and it had all these actors on it. I sort of started looking after yours. I was like, okay, let's just see if these are other two. It has a bunch of actors on it where it just says where they're born and their birthday. And then it has like no other information, but it like has like fill in the blank. So it'll have like years, but no names for films or anything. And then later it's like, do they smoke? Um, do they like to dance? Like it has these <laughs> weird questions. Uh, do, does Christy like to dance? Unknown. Like it's, it's very, I should send you the link. It's very strange, but that's where I learned it. And I'm like, wow, the only fact they have on here is that she was born in South Africa. I feel like I should just go to Christy and ask her because I didn't trust the website. Also. Yeah, that's. That's fair. That sounds incredibly (laughs) suspicious. Yeah. I would assume that that is maybe a website that just like scrapes from IMDb because I think my birth date and place may be on there probably unwisely, but (laughs) those are so fun. Look, I like, I love TV and film. I have since I was five years old. I've wanted Mm -hmm. to be in this industry my entire life. And like, I am both a huge fan and also someone really actively working in it, but I like, I am so so susceptible to looking up celebrity gossip and I want to know those weird details. Like I want to know if Olivia Coleman likes to dance and I will read very, very unreliable websites that are clearly wrong or just like made up because it's fun sometimes. Totally. I think that's also why I love listening to podcasts with the people, because even if it's an interview with the person, I never know if I can trust the journalist. Like I never know, like, how, how are you? I I need context, you know? So it's like, okay, if I'm listening to a podcast, I can hear how they're saying something again. It could be taken out of context, edited, whatever, but But right. Tone is so important. And that is something that is really easy to miss or fuck up. Yeah. Especially if you're like, yeah, if you're like reading it in a, in, in a text, like in text, you know? Okay. So you said since you were five, you wanted to be in this industry. And I'm interested because you also said that you grew up sheltered. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what made you want to be in the industry? And like, when did you know that writing and acting were the things that were, you were like so passionate about in the industry? 
there's like an apocryphal story that when I was five, mm. I went to my parents and announced to them that I was going to be a movie star. And that was like my career path. And my dad had been really into theater when he was like a teen. He was like the mm. star of all of his high school shows. And he did a lot of church shows and that kind of thing. So he was, he was very much a performer. And when we lived in South Africa, he's French Canadian. So he would get hired to do like French accents and commercials and a lot of voiceover stuff because it was so much easier, obviously, for him versus like someone with a South African accent to try to do a French, French accent. Totally. So I basically told my parents, like, here's the deal. This is my life plan. And I also <laughs> sort of demanded my dad give me acting lessons, quote unquote. That is the cutest fucking thing ever. And he was like, that, uh, no, that's not a thing. <laughs> and I remember, like, very graciously, I, re- I do have a very early vivid memory of him sort of giving me like a fake thing to pretend like pretending to get a puppy or something and he did like an exercise with me Uh, but that was sort of the end of that but I have just (laughs) I loved performing as a kid so 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 Mm. much I was the obnoxious neighborhood kid who was like okay we're doing a show outside I'm the director (laughs) and the writer also the star you may participate but this is like not a democracy. I'm in charge, whatever <laughs> yeah. I says go. Uh, and I was so, so invested in our school shows. Like in first and second grade, you had to audition and there were, you know, the chorus parts, but maybe you'd get a speaking role. And I got one line in my first grade show and one line or two lines in my second grade show. And basically took that as confirmation, Broadway or bust. Like <laughs> they, they, I knew it. They the confirmed has it. has been recognized. It has been recognized, Hello. validated. I'm sorry. What? Okay. So you were auditioning first and second grade. You're like six. What are they? It's the cutest thing to me to think of the teachers holding these auditions. Like, what are they? Do you remember? What are they getting you to do? I don't remember at all. Like sing uh, a favorite song, I guess, or something. Maybe. maybe it was, it was a private school. So there was okay. a lot of money for those when I was in South Africa, a lot of money put into that stuff, mm. but it was like a, a big school production. So in second grade, we did Alice in Wonderland. So oh, it was fun. like all the little grade ones and twos are going to be the card soldiers and all the grade Aww. threes are going to be this. And then we'll cast whoever actually wants to be in the show. Yeah. Not just forcing you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so I got to be a talking flower in Alice in Wonderland <gasps> and I was so excited and I felt like you know I had really hit it I had really made the big time and then basically immediately after that my parents sat us down and said we're moving back to America sorry uh like everything you've known your whole life well yeah after your big break your big and like I'm being totally like as a kid your big floral break you're like what the fuck are you talking about? My career has just begun. I'm yes. blooming. Like, yes, but oh, great flower pun. Thank you but, so much because you're really good at puns. And I'm really, I think I'm feeding off. I know you hate puns, but you're very good at them. And I'm saying that I know that because I've listened to a lot of podcasts that you're on. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm is, so bad at puns. I think you're rubbing off on me and I'm so grateful for that. That is so funny. I think I am a natural punster. But in the, in the mid two thousands, mid to late, like aughts, it got very, my whole personality is puns. Mm. Like if you're clever and you like English, that's all you are. Like, I I just really pushed back against it. And I really, really, I also find that puns are often considered jokes Mm. and I don't 
think that most of them are like it's very lowest common denominator like just because yeah. something rhymes doesn't mean it's funny yeah. uh so it's there's a lot of conflict I'm so sorry no one wants to hear about me like my inner turmoil with puns. I do listen all this is is like inner well no safe fun consented inner turmoil okay so you're told because okay I'm thinking back when I was in the first grade all the grade ones and maybe other, we, they dressed us all up. Um, now that I look about, we were all orphans. And so <laughs> they had to put, they put dirt on our face and they told us to bring like a big white t-shirt, like a long one. And they just got them really dirty. This is like, doesn't seem like it's like an appropriate or like a good way to run a production, but I don't know. That's what happened. And I remember we were on like the, the risers or like not the bleach, the bleachers yeah. for the stage. Risers. Okay, great. The risers. Okay. And we were on the risers and all I remember, we were all choir we were kids. All- risers. We were all choir. Okay. We were all jazz, jazz. Oh my God. What's happening to me. We were all jazz bands. I was a bass clarinet. Jesus. This is what happens when most of the time I'm sitting in my apartment, like talking to my dog through yeah, of my- course. telepathically, like my vocabulary is gone. How any of our minds are still functioning in any way is Ugh. like a miracle. Miracle, miracle. I'm only talking to like 2D people. Okay, but I, I remember I loved it. I mean, I spent most of it because we just got to do the little songs and like dance with the teacher telling us what to do. But I remember I had a huge crush on the guy who played, not Oliver, <laughs> but who played like the bad boy. Who's the bad boy in Oliver? The kid or the grown up? <laughs> so it's also- not- <laughs> I think it's the case. I hope this is what happens when you drink martinis, aka straight <laughs> vodka, vodka with, with a some little bit of olive juice, with some juice that fell out of the olive jar. Like the kid, like I'm, I'm thinking yes, David no, no. Copperfield, and that has nothing to do with this. But do you no, know what I, I know mean? This. I'm a former musical theater. I, kid. I know you me. would, you will um, know this. It'll come to me. It'll it will come to me it like will. hours from now. Yes. So like he was the, cute. Of course he was cuter he was than Oliver. So There's more personality cute. there. hundred percent. Oliver, I was like, mm, you will do not, you do nothing for me anyway. But I just think about if I, I mean, and I was more concerned with him than I was necessarily the show, but if you're in a show and you're like, I'm going to be a movie star. Oh my God. Here's my big break. Not only am I in and I get a line. And then they're like, you're moving countries. That's like a big deal to a little kid. Yeah, that move was hard, but I do think I was just young enough because we did another big, we moved from the States to Canada when I was 12 and that was a million times harder because that I just felt like you're so much closer to being a teenager and I had reestablished friend groups, but there, Amanda, here's how much I wanted to be like a Hollywood actor because my parents said we're leaving South Africa. And my first thought was, oh no, my best friends, my school, my life. I'm so sad. And my second thought was Hollywood's in America, (laughs) America, New York city, Broadway. I was, I just saw it as like, well, this is a natural step in the trajectory. (laughs) Totally. You're like, listen, I played a flower in Alice in Wonderland. And the next natural step is that we're moving to the land of Hollywood and the big apple. So let's go pack my backpack. Let's go. I asked my parents if I could get an acting agent. Every year from probably the time it was nine or 10 until I graduated high school. And every oh. year they were like, absolutely not. <laughs> You're not going to be a child actor. Their lives are terrible. Yeah. We don't want to do that. No, no, no we don't want to drive you around hours a day. Well, like, no, they were incredibly supportive and they were driving me around hours a day to like Aww. dance classes and voice lessons and rehearsals and auditions, oh, yeah. so, but they yeah. were like, no, it just has, this can be fun. You have to be a kid. And in retrospect, yeah. 
I'm so grateful. So I cannot, fabulous. I did not have the emotional <laughs> maturity to be on a professional set, probably till I was like 25, if yeah. we're being honest. Oh, sometimes now I'm like, could I, or would I cry? Like, yeah, I don't know. Totally. Some days I'm like, absolutely. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. And 12 is a hard age too. Cause you're like, okay, maybe around the time when, I mean, everyone's different, but it's like, it could be potential like period age and hormones and fitting in. And it's really important at that age to like have your crew, you know? Yes. And so, I really yeah. did. I had like, I had a true babysitters club DM, of like <laughs> six best friends who were all like the coolest girls at our elementary school and so fun and adventurous. And it was like the real wild west of the tail end of the nineties where we could still like bike to each other's houses with no grownups there and go on adventures and go to the public pool. And I like, I am so grateful. I got to have sort of that quintessential Americana experience. It was just really squeezed (laughs) into like four years. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, now I like, I'm still, you know, loosely in touch with a lot of those girls, even though we lost touch when we were 12 (laughs) and they're all lesbians, like 100% of them are queer, which also I'm like, yeah, I had the best taste even back then. Of (laughs) course. And they're all so smart and have just like, gone on to such wonderful things and it makes me so happy okay actually I love that this is such a good moment for this okay so I very often don't know what people are my eyes are already a little glossy I can already see it a little bit you look great oh my god you too so cute I love your chair I'm like thank you I'm sitting for the listeners I'm sitting in a massive black and white gamer chair that doesn't not you know, sort of look like something that would be in a Star Trek or Star Wars universe. (laughs) It's very ridiculous. But at the beginning of the pandemic, we only had shitty chairs. And after you're sitting at home in chairs all day, turns out gamer chairs are much more affordable than like $2,000 beautiful ergonomic chairs. All right. I actually, I need a chair. I, I, um, I really messed up my neck and back actually after recording last week I ended up having to lay on the floor for half a day the next day uh get my back taped twice and get a massage because I literally couldn't move but it's because I was sitting on these beautiful little dining chairs Mm -hmm. so now I got a little rolly but also your gaming chair matches your shirt which hello yeah we've got a real black and white theme yeah we do I'm loving this okay okay so I often people will say things and I don't know what the fuck they're talking about and I don't ask because I'm like, it's, I probably should know. So for all the actors out there who are too ashamed to ask, I'm going to fall on the sword for everybody here. Okay. So you studied Meisner for a number of years Mm -hmm. and Christy, I'm begging you to tell me what the fuck is Meisner. I have books on it. Everyone mentions it. I could Google it. Maybe I'm afraid. What the fuck is Meisner? Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, well, first of all, I think that's maybe the only time that question has been uttered because most people <laughs> train in the Meisner technique become obnoxious disciples and like evangelists of the Meisner technique <laughs> and go around and no one wants to hear about it. Uh, Sanford Meisner was uh, one of the like formative acting teachers around the same time as Stella Adler and, and many others. And his sort of philosophy was that acting, real good acting is about being present, mm. connecting with your scene partner and living in like the truth of the imaginary circumstances. Mm. So where other acting techniques like a method actor is, you know, they are trying to think they really are the person 
or things like memory recall where you're like, okay, you have to cry in this scene. So go think about the time, like your grandma died and get really Mm -hmm. sad and come in and do it with Meisner. It's more about like learning how to be so present and so invested in the pretend world you're in that it feels real. So you can be like, if you and I are doing a scene and we're having a fight, we are really fighting and we are really in it. But as soon as the scene ends, we can step away and we don't have like our personal trauma wrapped up in it because Mm. we haven't been calling on that. And it's not about faking it. It's about like bringing as much truth and authenticity to sort of a fake circumstance, Mm. Um, which I, I mean, I'm very biased, but I think is probably one of the healthier ways of acting Mm -hmm. Um, just because acting, acting can be so intense your body doesn't know the difference. Mm. So if your mind can know the difference, I think that is probably a really protective thing when you're going through really, especially with dramatic acting, really traumatic experiences, really, you know, intense stuff. Um, but it's also, Meisner is weird and complicated because it's like, great, yeah, cool philosophy. But then the way that that philosophy is taught is through a very intense structured series of exercises. So mm-hmm. I went to a two-year conservatory yeah. where the whole, the whole two years were really focused around like, let's learn this technique and get amazing at it first mm-hmm. in like improvised acting and then learn how to apply it to text. Wow. So there's something called the repetition exercise. Have you ever done that? I don't know. I don't think so. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, first of all, as soon as pandemic restrictions are lifted and we've all been vaccinated, you're going to come to a Meisner class with me. Okay. I'm terrified. Okay. Let's do it. It is so fun. It is like, (laughs) I say it's a little like therapy, which is probably unhealthy, Uh, (laughs) but it is the most cathartic thing in the world. As long Mm. as you have a really uh, trustworthy sort of instructor. And Mm. I've been going to the same teacher since theater school. So I went to school in Calgary for two years, this conservatory. And then a couple years after that, the school closed and the teacher moved to Toronto. So oh, great. Okay. it ended up working really great for me. Yeah. Uh, and I've been studying <laughs> with her um, on and off ever since she came here. So right oh. before the pandemic, we were doing a masterclass, like a, a show, a play, and we were rehearsing it and it was so fun. And it's the first time Mm. I've done a play in so long. We were doing uh, Savage and Limbo Mm. by John Patrick Shanley. And it's just so juicy and fun and intense. And then the pandemic ruined it. I was like, yeah, I get it. I'm not going to do any more plays. Okay. (laughs) Um, But the repetition (laughs) exercise is basically about uh, two people at the beginning, sit in chairs, look Mm. at each other in the eye. You try to Mm. really connect, maintain Mm. eye contact, And then you start to observe things in the other person. So at first it starts very mechanical. If I'm looking at you, I'd be like, you're wearing a blue jacket. And you'd repeat that back to me. Mm. And we go back and back and forth and back and forth. And then you'd observe something in me. Your hair is brown. My hair is brown. Your hair is brown. My hair is brown. Back and forth, back and forth. You get used to that. You get comfortable. And then you graduate up to like picking up behavior. Your eyes are blinking. Your mouth is open. You seem confused. You seem happy. You know, all of those sort of things. Yeah. And you repeat it back and forth until the other person picks something up and then they throw it out to you. And so every time an observation is thrown out, that like pinches you in some way. If someone says, you're squinting weird or you look so cute or you're flirting with me, yeah. you have to let that so deeply affect you 
that you might be returning the same text back, but like the moment is changing. The moment is constantly evolving. This, I know this sounds so like airy, fairy, artsy, and like it is, but it is also, I just wish everyone could do a couple weeks of this training mm. because it, it really connects you into your humanity mm-hmm. and it really helps take all of the, the bullshit away. And I think mm-hmm. as a performer, it's like 99% bullshit mm. auditioning and worrying about what you look like and what people think of you and what's your hit and all of that. Yes. It's really important to the business part of it, but like, that's not what performing or acting is about. Mm. And so it's so incredible to be in a space where it's like, no, this is just about me and the other person or other people or myself alone doing like mm. a solo scene, but really connecting, really dropping it and being like, so vulnerable, Mm. so, 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 so vulnerable in a way that's very scary and can be really jarring. And I think that's why a lot of people end up not liking Meisner Mm. because it's, it can be really vulnerable. And if you don't have a good instructor, that might not be a safe space. And I am biased. I've been really lucky to have a lot of great female instructors. I've only ever taken a few classes and audited a couple with male instructors. And I don't think that I would really train with men, which is funny Mm. because a man invented this, but uh, (laughs) I have just had like Cindy uh, McCauley is my teacher slash love of my life. And Mm. she would be so weirded out to hear me say that. (laughs) We have a very teacher student relationship. Uh, but he is someone who I can go in and throw mm-hmm. shit at the wall and I can be ridiculous and I can be really bad and it's fine and it's okay. Oh, that's maybe, what you need. Yeah. maybe good work comes out. Maybe it's, mm-hmm. it's total shit for three months, Yeah, but I, I feel so comfortable and safe with her and in that mm-hmm. room that I'm able to really, really grow as an artist where mm-hmm. for most of us, I think especially starting out, if you're auditioning, you're auditioning for commercials, mm-hmm. maybe once a week, once a month, a couple times a week, like mm-hmm. that's not really training your, your acting in mm-hmm. any way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's really hard to find an environment that you can feel safe to be vulnerable. And oftentimes it can be expensive. Well, it is expensive just to take one class, but I'm thinking in order to really gain in order for an instructor to really gain a student's trust, you kind of need that long-term relationship mm-hmm. to, to for them to show that you can trust them. And that's going to be money on money on money, you know? So it sounds like for this, if it's facilitated properly, it's, it also sounds like such an exercise to be really seen and like really heard also, which just sounds therapeutic, like in itself. Yeah. It's incredible. I, when I first moved to Toronto, I took some classes. I took a bunch of classes, mm-hmm. but once I kind of settled in, I started taking classes at the pro actors lab yeah. with Rotenberg and we don't need to get into like <laughs> the many different opinions yep. people have of that place yep. and that instructor. Um, but I was able to, uh, sort of get to a place where I felt fairly comfortable in those classes Mm -hmm. and was able to be vulnerable basically. And Mm -hmm. many other classes I had been to, I didn't get to that place. And maybe that's on me. Maybe like, I am just like a very guarded person more so Mm -hmm. than, than the average person. But uh, the big thing that, that Meisner facilitates is play between different levels. Mm. And so with Rotenberg's class, A, it's so expensive. It's insane. You have to take Mm -hmm. the 
intro class, quote yep. unquote, which is like two classes. I don't, have you studied with him ever? Yeah. Not with him, but studied at Pro Actors at Pro Lab. Actors, yeah. yeah. So you have to take the intro class, which for David at the time, this was 10 years ago, mm. it was like five or 600 bucks. And those yeah. classes aren't classes. It's truly like a meet and greet with the teacher, mm. figure out if he wants to work with you further. Mm. So I did that and I took a, a bunch more and I spent all this money I did not have. Like I was the brokest struggling yeah. artist, but as an actor, you're constantly told like, stay in class, keep training, be training. Yeah. And so I, I got a lot from those classes and I don't regret doing them. But when Cindy moved back to town, she decided uh, she studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse. She did her training to teach Meisner at the Neighborhood Playhouse, which mm. a lot of people in Canada have not done and just teach Meisner <laughs> and anyway. And just teach it anyway. <laughs> um, that's fine. Uh, but she, she basically decided, I am going to not continue pursuing this as a career because mm. I'm so burnt out. She ran a theater mm. school for like, I don't know how long, seven or eight years. Wow. And did so much for it. And so when she came here, she got a Joe job. She got like a, a great corporate job mm -hmm. and then decided, I still love actors. I still want to teach them. I still want to train them. So I'm going to do that on the side. So Aww. her classes, Amanda are $250 per session. And the sessions can be like six to eight weeks, I think, What? Um, which is like compared to anything else in the city. No, that's the only reason I low. got into improv is because I thought they it was cheaper. an acting class and it was cheaper because I kept going to the other on-camera classes. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't spend five or $600 on five weeks where each, each class is like four hours, but you're acting for maybe 20 minutes. I'm like, mm -hmm. or also, even if that was, and it also took me so many years to finally find an instructor where I was like, oh, I trust you. And, but I don't even go there as often because yeah. it's so expensive. It's so it's so cost prohibitive to yeah. try to pursue acting at all. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly unequitable in terms of if you have someone supporting you, parents or a spouse who can just bankroll you, mm -hmm. you have a way better shot because Absolutely. A, you're not busy and worried and trying to juggle a Joe job and 30 other things. And mm -hmm. B, you can really focus and you can just be like, great, I'm going to take a class and give it a hundred percent of my brain mm -hmm. and, and not worry. Like, where is the next payment for the next class coming from? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Cindy's classes are, so they're so cheap. She has, mm -hmm. I, I think she still hasn't raised the prices, which is wild. Mm -hmm. um, and they're for the most part, all levels, which mm. Meisner works really, really well that way. You can pair someone who started Meisner last week with someone who's been studying for 20 years. And if they're both down and if they're both like willing to connect and try to be vulnerable, it can be magic. Yeah. And her classes in the last couple of years have been incredible because Cindy started teaching some courses for like continuing education mm. with older people. So it was a lot of retirees who always wanted to act, but oh. decided to become a teacher or had to, you know, just do whatever job to yeah. support their family. And now they're having the chance to sort of explore this thing. So in a class on any given week, it would be like myself and a musical theater actor who's been working for 30 years and a 70 year old retiree named Barb, who's so funny and oh. a 21 year old musical theater kid. Like, it's just, I don't know why I said musical theater kid twice. Um, <laughs> they're, everywhere. But that's, they're everywhere, but that's such a good reminder because sometimes you can get into on camera, like acting classes and it's all people who've been studying at the school, like religiously for 20 years. And you're like, Oh my God, 
you forget that it's just, it's about people. It's about humanity. It's about you being a person and really like just learning how to sit into your person more. Now that you're describing Meisner, Christy. Okay. I think I did this. Um, I did this. Okay. So when I got out of university, I went for psychology. I wanted to be an actor, but was like, no, people will worry about you go for something else. And then graduating was like, no, I want to be an actor. Okay. So then I just tried to do, I don't even know if this is a thing anymore. Mandy.com where you could get like all the like uh, indie auditions. I believe it's still a thing. Is it based, still a thing? Okay. Based on a non-union friend and what he said to me <laughs> very recently. Okay. Well, I, I'm not, uh, I am in no way suggest or re- recommend. Yeah. I've literally had like a tiny bit of vodka and I came in. I'm not recommending it. I've also, I heard a while ago that then they started charging you for things. I'm like, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Cause half those things you don't not more than half. You don't make money from, but I basically submitted to everything I could and did everything I could. And I went to this, I went to do this short film and I brought my roommates. Oh, this was still in university. This was must've been, anyway, I brought my two roommates with me and they sat in the living room of the house. So then I was supposed to be a deceased wife of this other actor. Okay. Okay. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) we talking like ghosty wife or like the dead body? Oh, where to, well, so they show me dying. Of course, oh, of, of course, every student wants to see a woman die or cry or naked. Like it's I'd one s- of those three things. I'd all say of every, them. every male film student. Oh, let's a hundred percent. And you know what? I'm just sort of, all the, they were all fucking male. That's yeah. the sad part. All of them fucking male. So this was a male. Um, and he, and so the other actor, so they were going to see me die. They were going to film me getting hit by a car. Here's my other thing. Now that I'm realizing this right now, I would never agree to that. There was no safety. There was no rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they film me getting hit by a car or pretending to get hit by a car. And then I come back as a ghost. But I'm realizing before we went to go record, I met my like actor husband for the first time. And he was like quite a bit older than me. Surprise, surprise. But I didn't, anyway, I, I don't know why I feel like I have to mention that. Okay, so he says, can we go warm up or something before the scene in the other room? And it was like in a house. So brought, I was like, sure. And I thought this is what actors do. And he brought me into the dining room and he held out his hands for listeners. He held out his hands in front of me. <laughs> And he told me to put my hands on top and I get really sweaty on my hands when I'm nervous. So my first thought was like, my first thought was maintain my attractiveness, I guess. So I was like, as all female actors are, as is my only worth or value in this operation. So that's what I was concerned with. So I didn't even hear like alarm bells. And I'm realizing, I think he was trying to Meisner warm up with me because he said, we're just going to, uh, we're, uh, I, I think he said notice. I don't know. Cause I don't want to use, yeah. but he's like, so he said you something, he, he said that I have beautiful eyes or beautiful face mm-hmm. or something. And I said nothing, I think. And then he, <laughs> but then he started saying, uh, I'm ex- he said, I'm excited. And I said, I'm uncomfortable. And he said, I, and it just kept going of him saying, I'm looking at your shoulders or something. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. You and were it, like, just, what yeah, it just kept escalating with him saying more and more intimate things and me being more and more vocal about how uncomfortable I was. Anyway, so okay. I'd love to do Meisner with you because I well, think for, you just need the right person. For starters, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. That is the ego there and the mm. like, like yes you want to connect with your scene partner before you shoot totally great. sure 
maybe communicate with them in a way yeah. that they understand. Ask me what my fucking name is. That that's a way we could connect. Connect <laughs> with me as a person, not what you want totally. me to do for you. Like, dude. Totally. Anyway, <sighs> anyway, let's not give that guy airtime. Fuck him. Okay, so now I'm curious though. So you get to do all of you know, you get to. I'm, I didn't know this. I'm so glad that I learned about the Alice in Wonderland and then going to going to what we're perceiving as like Hollywood and the Big Apple at the same yes. time. Maryland. And then coming here. Ma- Ma- Suburban Maryland, the Suburban height Maryland. of the entertainment industry. <laughs> but to little Christy, I'm thinking it's just like the fucking bomb, you know? So totally. I'm wondering... You're such a fabulous actor. I know firsthand. I have been with you on multiple sets. And I am curious now. I know I'm like fast forwarding so many years, but it's like during this whole pandemic, I have like ping-ponged my relationship with acting or like I look at all this time. I should be learning monologues every day. I should put everything on self-tape. Oh my, and then I ping pong. The acting world is completely shut down right now. I'm doing nothing. When do I ever get to not work on my craft? So I'm just wondering, how has your relationship with acting changed through this like last year? Do you feel any different about like the, how you approach the craft of it and also like the career aspect of it, of how to navigate the career? I know it's a big question. I'm sorry. No, it's great. That's I just apologize. Sorry. I'm like, I, can I ask you questions on a podcast? And like, I'm really I'm thinking so into myself. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Do you want, I'm so sorry. How? I'm so sorry. <laughs> no I'm apologies. taking that back and I'm not going to edit it out. I'm just going to say it's something that's worth editing out, but I'm showing the work. Okay. How, yeah. How has your relationship with acting changed through all this shit show? It's funny that you asked about the last year because I feel like my relationship to acting has really been shifting for the last couple of years. Ooh, and the pandemic has been great in terms of really highlighting things I was already feeling and sort of solidifying things. Um, but I like I'm an actor and a writer, and I I love both of those so 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 much. And I am grateful that I've had opportunities to sort of work in both. Um, but acting is so hard and mm-hmm. so and by acting I mean the career trying to be an actor is so hard mm-hmm. and the business of it is so brutal and I've been like I said I wanted I when I was five I'm gonna be a movie star this is happening 100%, so it's yes. a long time I'm 31 like that's yeah. not a short amount of time but I find that writing allows a level of autonomy and a Mm. level of sharing your voice and sharing the story you want to share and you know it's just so much more empowering like it's almost Mm. fun it's almost ridiculous to compare because Mm. there's very little empowering about being an an actor Mm -hmm. unless you're doing all of your own work you're also creating and you're like an incredible you know theater performance artist I have friends like that and they blow my mind Mm. and every time I see their stuff I'm like oh you're a real actor I got it (laughs) yes movement that is also about politics like that's not really what I do me either Um, yeah (laughs) yeah I don't I don't know enough about politics or movement honestly to be able to amalgamate the two just wait till we do our terrible fringe show about politics. <laughs> I can't it's wait. All dance. I cannot um, wait. All dance. Yeah. So, so I feel like uh, I had a really big shift about four or five years ago. Mm. I got hired for the Beaverton, which mm-hmm. is a Canadian TV show, like a satirical political show. Um, I got hired as their social media manager 
in 2016, like a month before Trump got elected, basically. Oh God, what a fucking nightmare of a fucking time. Yeah, I, it's so wild how much has happened since that moment. But before that, I was working in restaurants. Uh, I was teaching yoga and I was an assistant manager at a yoga studio and just like piecing together all these Joe jobs. I was nannying, whatever I could do and trying to act. Mm -hmm. But I had an agent who was essentially Estelle from Friends. Uh, and I'm not kidding. When I say like, oh my God. I know that reference. If you like, hit me with any friends references, I will genuinely laugh and I won't need to ask you any context. Oh she, gosh. She mostly used her fax machine. She didn't know what text messaging was like, she oh, was a no. lovely lady. And again, like she signed me when she had no reason to sign me. And I was <laughs> a dumb theater school grad being like, here I am world. <laughs> But because of that, like Mm. she didn't have connections. She didn't, she wasn't able to like get me auditions. Most of her clients were like 60 year old white men who did like the same theater festivals in Ontario every year. And it was a set thing kind of thing. So I had been auditioning. Like if I got one audition a month for a shitty commercial, it was great. It was the most exciting thing. So when I got that Beaverton job, it was a full-time job. And I had been really hesitant to take that because Mm -hmm. as actors, you know, you're always told like, always be available for auditions 100% of the time, whatever job you have, like you have to be able to drop it. And this wasn't really that. And I hadn't been looking for a job and it just kind of came up because uh, they were looking for someone with social media experience who also had satire experience. And it just so happened that I had been doing a lot of my own social media with my plant-based Christie Instagram stuff. Mm -hmm. And I got hired by a couple small vegan companies to run their accounts. And then I was writing for Reductress, which is like an American feminist satirical website. Mm -hmm. And so I just so happened to like have the two pieces. And when Mm -hmm. I went in and interviewed, I realized either I'm getting this job or there is someone like so much more specifically. (laughs) So nichely perfect for this. I can't imagine not getting it. Yeah, Uh, And I did. And within a week I had to decide like, okay, I'm going to quit the yoga studio, quit my restaurant job, quit teaching yoga, change everything about my life, start a nine to five, something I've never done in my entire life. Um, And I did, and it was great. And I was really excited about it, but it, it really taught me so much about the entertainment industry that I never saw from the actor side of things. When you're Mm. an actor, you are like a sweet, pretty little puppet and you are (laughs) kept out of 80 to 99% of the information about everything. And I you're always, yeah, you're like always at the kids table, basically, even if you're very highly respected in the in the environment, you are at the kids table and you're not privy to like any of the adult conversations. Yes. And you know, because you have produced your own stuff, Mm. like that's kind of the way it has to be to a certain degree because Mm -hmm. producing something and making even a short film or a web series, mm-hmm. there's so much more than the actors to think about. And the actors, of course, you need good performers for your project to work, mm-hmm. but it is like one of the last things you slot in. Yeah. And people have been working on this for so much longer. So anyway, I just learned so much by yeah. working on a TV show and being in rooms and hearing discussions about actors and comedians I know personally. Yeah. And hearing what six people in the room, six producers, think of them, have heard of them. One person had a bad experience or heard something bad. So that person's name's off the list. Like that kind of stuff just opened my eyes and kind of blew my mind and really reminded me 
how little power you have as an actor in terms yeah. of what you are doing with your craft and what you are mm. doing with your art. And I love performing. I love acting. I always have. And mm. I think I probably always will. I have tried to quit. There have been times where I'm like, <laughs> if I could just make myself move on my life would probably be oh, so much easier I know fuck I'm like I would probably have so much like financial security if oh, I could just move on from this and oh, not sure yeah. imagine just think of the money again like going back to acting classes think of yeah. the money you have sunk into acting classes year after year after year yeah. I have spent so much money on theater school acting classes headshots everything you pour in there's no way I've even broken even with the amount of acting <laughs> money I've made like the yeah. small small amount of acting yeah money. so I I did the Beaverton job and I kind of hit a point where I was like you know what I can't really audition right now because I'm mm. at this nine to five job even though they were so flexible and they wouldn't have cared at all mm. I felt like you know what I can't really and also I'm not getting auditions but I'm constantly stressed that I'm not going to be available and so I I chose to leave my acting agent which was mm -hmm. for me like this huge I couldn't believe it I never I thought I was so lucky to have an agent because so mm -hmm. many people can't get one mm -hmm. But I had to kind of step back and be like, okay, so in the five years or however long I'd been with her, I've booked one non-union commercial Yeah, and I've been yeah, sent out like, for 30 things. Like this yeah. isn't, I'm not really losing out on anything. Yeah, and totally. So I, I did, I left and I focused on the job and on writing. And I was mm. just starting to get really serious about like, okay, I think TV writing is really something I want to pursue actively instead mm. of like my whole life. I just been like, I'll probably be Mindy Kaling. So like, <laughs> like, for my award-winning fringe show and give me the office feel. And so I really started working on samples and I wrote my mm. first pilot and I thought it was great and it wasn't. And, but I love that you thought it was great. I think that's actually hard for some, for someone to write something and be like, I think this is great in real time. I think oh, that's actually really good that you thought it was great. It is only two extremes with me. It's like only <laughs> utter crippling self-doubt or yeah. like a really alienating narcissism. That's yeah, just, yeah. I'm a movie star. Hello world. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So the um, was like sort of this respite year. Mm. And um, my boss at the time, Laura Campbell, who had hired me, had asked me if I was interested in pitching stuff because it's kind of confusing, but the show was doing all these digital shorts at the same time as TV stuff. And technically the TV writers were doing both, but they didn't really have time. So I had pitched a bunch of stuff to Laura and it just got me into this like writing is something where I can use my voice to say the things that matter. And acting is this thing where the only auditions I'm getting are for products I don't believe in, or if I am doing, you know, student films and short films, it's usually incredibly sexist. It's usually characters that have no point of view, nothing to say. There's, it's always from a male lens, like always. Mm -hmm. Like it's not fulfilling. It's never the reason that you got into it. And yes. you, every, every job, even if it's a dream job, you're not going to love every part of it, but absolutely the pursuing acting can sometimes feel like, do I like any bit of it? It's, yes, it's well, one it's of, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where I was like, if I could be acting on a sitcom and making a shit ton of money, and not have to worry about anything else in my life. Maybe I wouldn't care so much, but mm. I'm putting so much time and energy into, into what, and does it align with my values and what I believe mm. in? And, and all the writing I've been doing, I'd written for, I started writing for She Does the City, which is like an online Canadian publication for women 
in the early, I don't know, like 2010 or 11. And it was total freedom. And the editor was incredible. She basically taught me how to write for the internet because I was just like, what is grammar? Here's (laughs) a random string of thoughts. And Haley Cunningham is her name. She's now an incredible book uh, editor, but, Mm. but they really, really helped me. And that was where I was able to write like a piece about the new Fiona Apple album and how much it resonated with me. And a piece, I, I wrote a whole series when I was tree planting, I was cooking for a tree planting company in the summers. And I felt so disconnected from the entertainment industry, but I was having so much like life experience and writing was just this beautiful outlet for it. And it was so free. And so I think I just, it was like a couple years of me sort of like weighing these two things and feeling uh, really conflicted. When I lived in Maryland, one of my best friends, when I was like, I want to say 11, around 11, wrote me a letter. uh, And basically the (laughs) gist of the letter was, you are so invested in performing and you love acting and you're like the theater kid amongst our friends and we all know it and blah, blah, blah. And that's great. But like, you're also a really good writer and you love writing. And I think writing will give you the power and like make you happier. This was an 11 year old girl who wrote this Oh my God. Are we still in contact with this 11 year old girl? Should this 11 year old, is this 11 year old girl actually my therapist now? Uh, Like, oh my gosh. For all of us. And I, I, at the time was like, oh, so you don't think I'm good enough to be a, of course. Oh no. Of course it feels that way. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. And now I'm like, God, if only I had listened to this genius. Uh, And I think about that letter sometimes because Mm. I do feel like there has been sort of this duality in like the things I'm pursuing. And I got to a point where I felt like if I could just focus on one of them, maybe it would it would help more. Like it would facilitate growth Mm. more instead of splitting my focus constantly. Mm -hmm. But the Beaverton really helped me with that because I realized it, it was like probably 10 months. I was without an agent. I was still doing um, some comedy or Gilmore girls improv show was still Mm -hmm. a monthly show. And I was doing random, but not very much performance, very little acting. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that, I really missed it. Like by the end Mm -hmm. of the season, I really, really missed acting and was like, okay, this is something I love and I want to do and I can't walk away from, but I think like writing is where I have much more capacity Mm. to change things, to say things I think are important, to share a perspective and a point of view I have not seen. Mm. And that's really where I want to like put all of my heart and my energy. Mm-hmm. And it was this wonderful sort of shift for me where I realized I can still be an actor and work at it and train and make sure I'm still like an okay actor, mm. but I don't have to, I don't have to care as much. Mm-hmm. And I know like, it's so hard. I know so many actors, even on your own podcast, like people constantly are saying things like it's hard because acting doesn't always love you back and mm. it can be an abusive relationship and it can feel like this really fucked up thing. And it's true. And writing is something that depending on your perspective and your goals, <laughs> yeah. like, you can always write and you mm. can always just write for yourself and write what you want to write and, and get better and, and hone your craft where it's really hard to get better at acting by yourself alone. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, have you heard? The Liquid Courage podcast is now on Patreon. 
Patreon is a subscription-based platform that allows you to support your favorite artists while receiving fun, exclusive perks for doing so. Head over to liquidcourage.com to find out more, or go directly to the podcast Patreon page at patreon.com slash liquidcouragepodcast. See you there. This is so good. Like, I think I'll only buy Tito's now. It's so good. Amanda, it's the best vodka. And like I said, I really like vodka. Mm-hmm. And I, I I, think the cheap ones are not good. Mm. Like Smirnoff is not, it doesn't taste good. You can never drink like that anything. alone. No, it's like, like, it's like the stuff that you put in your ears to clean them. What is that? Hydrogen peroxide. Yes. That's what it tastes like. It's got a very antiseptic taste. And the yes. first time I had Tito's, I think it was on a plane or something. And Ooh. I was like, this is the first vodka I've had other than gray goose that tastes nice. Like that. I like, <gasps> I actually and think I like it so even much, better and it's so much cheaper. Oh and yes. Kind of convinced it's the same thing. I only ever get gray goose when I used to, um, like before pandemic go out for dinner with my stepmom and she loves gray goose mm. martinis. So, and she would pay for mine. So she'd be like, Match. no, go like oh, totally. So I'm like, okay, sure. And now I don't, I have such a love hate relationship with writing. So much of it is so painful to me that then I second guess whether it's so unnatural. Like, is it so against my nature that I'm forcing it? But then I read books like Amy Poehler's book or Tina Fey's. Oh my God. I'm sorry that I'm mixing up their books now. Cause I'm like, no, you're independent people. But one of them was like, everyone's lying. Writing is fucking torture. So <laughs> I like, okay. So I just want to like, what is your, do you, what do you love about it? What do you hate about it? Do you find it like awful as well? Cause you're such a good writer, Christy. And genuinely, I feel like every time I like go to sleep, I wake up and you have written a new script or something. I, and I know that's always like, you know, whatever. It always seems different from the outside, but you're so talented. You can pump out such quantity that is still quality that I'm like, I don't think I'm a writer. I almost burped is- from the vodka. <laughs> like, I don't think I'm a writer, Christy. Well, that's your first tip. <laughs> Keep drinking the Tito's. Uh, that's so funny because I have someone in my life who I think of that way. Amber Alexander. Mm. She went to the same theater school as me. She was one mm-hmm. year ahead and she was cool and great. Uh, and since we both graduated theater school 5,000 years ago, yeah. she pivoted into screenwriting and she, her output is prolific in a way that scares me like (laughs) the amount of work she's doing and she's she's blowing up right now she got signed by a manager in LA she's west coast based um signed by a manager in LA and uh got hired to write an adaptation of a book into a screenplay and then her own thing got picked up and now she has a series under like it is wild I don't understand like I go her yeah uh, how she does it but it's so funny because I do think it's one of those things that from the outside, you mm. just see the, this has been finished. This yeah. person got selected for something. Their yeah. thing got option, whatever. Yeah. And you don't see the like shaking back and forth, cowering in a corner, like. <laughs> yes. But when you process. talk about, like when you talk about writing though, you light up for listeners. She's lighting up like a huge, like a, like a marvelous, gorgeous angel. Also, you're just, your hair deserves its own award. This is when I'm drinking too much Tito's. (laughs) Also for listeners, as she was talking and I didn't want to cut, I was so close to interrupting you. She just like, just casually sort of like 
you know, when you just put some of your hair on a, in a top knot on the top, I have like the straightest fucking hair. I try and put a curl in it and it's like, fuck you. And it falls. And you just popped it in. It stayed. And for a moment, I wanted to be like, Christy, how the fuck did you just do that? Like, anyway, your hair is prolific in a way that scares me is how I feel. (laughs) That might be my new Twitter bio. Uh, Please use it. On the hair note, thank you very much. I've been in a lifelong <laughs> battle with my curly, curly locks. They they change a lot. So it's like, once I figure them out, they still might change. I have to figure them out again. But I finally, in my late twenties, realized the secret is like expensive products. Mm. And that's it basically. Not yeah. a lot of heat. So the pandemic has been incredibly good for them because I haven't had a blowout in oh, yeah. 13 months. Yeah. I have not touched <laughs> heat to my hair. So it's thriving. Oh, Christy, last night I was laying in bed and I don't know what made me do this, but I was like, okay, in 13 months, I have not. And then I was going to list things and I'm like, I have not threaded my eyebrows. I haven't got my nails done. I haven't like gotten a wax. Like I have, there's so many things where I'm like, oh, these just seemed like normal things. Haven't done them in 13 months. Eaten at a restaurant. Like, I looked at Chris the other day and said, I was so sad. And I just was like, I haven't had a pedicure in like (laughs) a year and a half. It's been so, and that's not something I do constantly. I'm not Carrie Bradshaw, but like- (laughs) like to every once in a while I like yeah. the- and giving yourself one is not the same because I can reach one foot and the other one I can't fit. like look at this gorgeous fucking top knot that we're putting right. into See, place this, now this, no is this a compulsive Please like do touching it. my hair gorgeous touching my hair is such a compulsive like nervous tick for me mm. that I don't know I'm doing it and it has only been in self-tapes and like on-camera classes that I've been criticized for it no, and I think fuck them I love it like I just can't help it I'm sorry yeah I'm sorry uh maybe they should be put maybe they should be making you feel more comfortable so that you did you weren't feeling nervous and had to do it be my agent just kidding <laughs> love you Alicia oh I love you I would love that um Alicia I'm with Alex they're like sister wives yes oh I my mean gosh. there's we- not maybe they wouldn't like that term but like I think they're such cute little they are like Amy I think Fuller and Tina Fey like sister sisters you know I think they'd like that they I think they like love that, right? the term sister wives they, uh, oh I fucking we could re- love them we could truly record a full bonus episode and when you set up your Patreon I hope we will just Let's about do- our two acting agents and how like phenomenal they are can't wait for Alicia to be like this makes me very uncomfortable oh yeah Alex is gonna be like I don't need this like this is this too much is attention on me and I'm gonna be much. like you deserve it you beautiful queen okay please tell me does write is when is writing a huge struggle for you please tell me it's really hard sometimes yes. but like be honest it's really hard <laughs> all the time writing really? is writing is one of those things where I love it yeah it is a passion and it feels like something I am like meant to do. Yeah. And it is also the bane of my existence <laughs> and feels like the greatest opponent in my life mm. because I, okay, I am like a perfectionist, A type, Virgo y kind of a bish. Like that's who I am. <laughs> Growing up, it was like, I have to get straight A's because if I don't, I'm not the best. That wasn't from my parents. That was just like in my brain already. Yeah. So the compulsion to be excellent is mm. very high. And the mm. compulsion for things to be the best or at least like of a very high quality is really high. Mm. And that's basically antithetical to writing. Yeah. You have to get comfortable writing bad shit. 
It's like yeah. Meisner. It's like the being comfortable going into a ma- acting class and being embarrassing or doing something that just like falls on its face. And it's so bad. You have to get comfortable with that. And that is like a thing I am very much still working on mm. because for a long time, when I would think about screenwriting or writing for TV, I was comparing myself with the produced episodes of the best prestige television that I loved. Yeah. And I would sit down trying to write something on Celtics, great free software, if anyone's hey, breaking in. <laughs> and I would just be riddled with insecurity and fear mm-hmm. and, and block and not even really know, like sometimes I wouldn't even know, like, why can't I put words down. Like, I don't know what's stopping me. And I really think that so much of it for a lot of us, especially people who come from acting Hmm. is that you're so used to being on and having to perform in some way, having to present yourself and being polished and looking the way you're supposed to look is all such a big part of it. Mm. And writing is like the opposite of that. It's being (laughs) messy and it's being shitty and it's getting all your ideas on a page and everyone writes differently. So I'm Mm. sure that there are some assholes out there who are like, actually, (laughs) when I write my first draft, it's also my final draft and it's perfect (laughs) and whatever. Uh, that is not the case. I don't want advice from them. Yeah, that's not going to be me. So that's not helpful advice from them. (laughs) They are, they are the blessed people. and like, fantastic. No, no, thank you. But for most of us writing, especially screenwriting, because when Mm. I'm writing pieces for online, Mm. I can be much more like slam it out, give it a quick read over. Sometimes I'll pay my friend and to edit it for me because Mm. I'm not good at grammar, but it's (laughs) like, I know my thoughts. I know the way I want them out done Mm -hmm. with screenwriting it's like such a blend of craft and art and sort of structure Mm. and things needing to work in a really particular way just because of the way that storytelling works and also act breaks work especially if you're doing network stuff so I think it's like you have to get comfortable both being creative and getting your shit down on the page so you can go back and edit and rewrite and rewrite And you have to really learn all of the mechanics of it, the structure, the Mm. formatting, what is industry standard, what, oh, you're really into writing, you want to write on a sitcom, what does a half hour sitcom look like on paper, Mm. and why do things look that way, and why are certain things, so it's like a very weird dual uh, expectation that both Mm. you know the logistics of it, and you're willing to be so vulnerable, throw your heart on the page, and then be smart enough and skilled enough to kind of blend those two and marry them into something that works. That's so much pressure. That's wild. <laughs> it is. Yeah, absolutely. Done, like the program that's teaching you that. And mm-hmm. I know people who have done those programs and are still petrified. Yeah. But like, that's so. So the first pilot I wrote that I said I thought was great, but was not. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was all instinct. It was all me being like, okay, comedic voice. I've been watching Mike Schur shows since high school. Yeah. I know, like, <laughs> I know what I want my voice to be. And some of the dialogue from that pilot was very good. And I still like, mm. but I didn't know anything about structure. I didn't mm. know. I didn't understand, you know, oh, this should probably be, you know, three acts with a, a tag and a teaser at the top, a cold open. And I didn't, Mm. I didn't understand like even just the arc of what a pilot needs to have to be able to set up a series. I just thought like, 
yeah, this is the story. This happens and then this happens and then this happens. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it took it took some time. I took classes. I have read everything the internet has to say about <laughs> screenwriting. I listen. I'm a massive podcast listener. I love. Mm. I have podcasts on like probably too much of the time, but <laughs> Rip Notes is like the Hollywood screenwriting podcast. There's a lot of other ones. I started listening to Happier in Hollywood. I started listening to so many podcasts just to learn about like the craft of it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that really helped me. And I embraced outlines. That's basically the thing that went from me going like, I should be a writer. Why aren't I getting writing jobs to <laughs> actually being like, okay, I'm going to write six samples and have a really solid set and mm. write my own web series and start writing my own shorts and doing all of that. Outlining is in my mind, in my purview, 100% necessary. <laughs> it's so boring. It sucks. It will change all the time, mm-hmm. but my favorite way to write is with a partner and with mm. a partner, you can't not outline because you Absolutely. don't share a brain. Yeah. So like <laughs> yeah. my husband, Chris and I write together. Um, and it's such a perfect example of that because we, we wrote a screenplay. Let's do this a couple of years ago. Yeah, you did. It was such a great experience and we love that script and it's in development. Fingies crossed. Maybe it'll get made. The producers on board are like bonkers and everyone's been so, so great. But we started talking about another concept that we had. We're like, okay, we're, we want to write our second screenplay. And we had an idea that we both love the concept of. And we're like, great, we're going to do that. And so we sat down, we earmarked some time to chat about it. And we sat down, we're like, okay, so this idea. And I basically started giving like, oh, well, this is how I see it going. And he just got this mystified look over his face. And after a couple minutes, he was like, yeah, that's not at all what I thought this idea was. You're like two different movies. You're like, I I saw it as a sci-fi romance. And he's like, okay, so I saw it as a bank heist, like serial law and order kind of thing. (laughs) Like truly, truly down to like, who's the lead character and who's this story from? Like, (laughs) and it was just such a funny moment. And we laughed so much because it, it was so indicative of, you got to get on the same page yes. before yeah. anything else. Yeah. So yeah, outlining makes things easier. It's also really hard. I also hate writing alone. Like I'll do it. I have written a lot of samples on my own because the way the Canadian industry works is they don't love writing teams for the most part. Right. Um, is that just money my- wise? Like paying two people? Yeah, it's everything. It's yeah. money. It's the fact that it hasn't been done here traditionally. Mm. So there's not really a precedent for it. The money people make in Canadian TV is a lot less than American TV. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in American TV, a writing team splits the money. Like they get the pay for one writer and they split it. So I don't understand why that couldn't just be a thing here. It's fine. Yeah, Sometimes, it's occasionally, fine. <laughs> occasionally <laughs> yeah. it is. I know Kara Haran and her partner Cheryl, like they work as a writing team often and they've managed to make it work and snaps to them for that snaps to them uh, yeah. yeah outlining is the only thing that I can really say in terms of like actionable what will help writing be better and be easier yeah and co-writing I hate writing by myself co-writing is like my favorite thing even if, even if it's something that you're like working on alone getting a bunch of feedback a bunch of notes from friends getting other people to just sort of riff ideas with you mm-hmm that's also the way most 
TV writing rooms work. You're not by yourself. Everyone is breaking room in the story together. Everyone is, you know, working on the outline part, which is the hard shitty part together. I can go away and write dialogue for 5,000 hours. Like it's, I would love that. If I have a blueprint, I'm very confident on my own, but getting that blueprint and feeling really solid in it, I think is just, that's the really hard part. And that's why so many emerging writers, you don't have a team or you don't have three writing partners you can turn to, to collaborate with. Yeah. It can feel so daunting. What was it like for you and Emma when you guys wrote Beck and Call? Well, when we wrote it, so we also had three of us like writing it because Dave wrote it with us. Mm -hmm. And, and I, it's so interesting when you're talking, cause I'm like, I love the outline part of it. I love the mathematic and the structure and making sure it works. Like I find I've always felt very confident in sort of like my editor hat or my, or my producer of the script hat kind of, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and less so in the creative part. It's like, I'm, I find I have to be, I'm so specific about who I have to be with because I hate getting good in front of people. I hate failing. I hate I just want to already be good because I think I have this idea and you know, you're making me think maybe it's the actor part of me that has this or this act, the actor, like you're auditioning and you get one chance. Mm -hmm. I feel like, Oh, if Christy asked me to write a script with her, I better go in and already have ideas that are like Oscar worthy, because if I don't, I get one shot and then she'll never ask me again, which is a lie. It's just what I'm, you're so used to as an actor. So it was, so yeah, when I was writing with my writing partners, Emma and Dave, I love the outline part. And I'm like, I get so excited about planning it all out, breaking the seat, breaking the season. I could do 24 hours, like breaking a season for viewers and listeners. Is like when you figure out the whole season of a series and you figure out the arc and what each character's stories are going to be. And kind of the arc is just like how the story moves. <laughs> Writers are like, really? But like, whatever, <laughs> how a season is going to um, a map for the season. Yes. You know, I love that part. And I actually find when I'm then going away to write it, I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't know what the fuck to do. I can fill in the outline, but it's so, it's such a struggle for me. And I know in the back of my head, it's like, well, you want to get good at something, practice it, like do it. It's probably so hard because the only time I do it is when I'm with my writing partners, which is a comfort level thing. And I don't do it separately because I think, I don't know, for some reason it's like, oh, it should come more naturally or I suck at it. Like that's the dichotomy that I've like lied to myself. Like if I was meant to do this, it would be easier, but I'm like, I'm not afraid of hard work. What the fuck is that about? I also think that when you've put so many years into the entertainment industry, Mm. it's really easy to feel like I deserve something or I should Mm. be good at something already, even Mm. if it's like kind of a different thing altogether. Mm. I know a lot of actors who write one or two things and they think they should be, you know, professional writing level, even though they've never written anything before in their lives, but it's like, yeah, they've been around the industry forever. They've been on sets a hundred times. They, they know it. And I think it's really easy to slip into that. And I definitely suffered from some of that being like, well, I know I'm clever and I'm good at writing Mm. and I've been auditioning, you know, endlessly for six years. Yeah. A professional TV writer yet. (laughs) Yeah. That's not really how it works. And there are people who Mm. have been working incredibly hard to get really good at screenwriting Mm -hmm. that whole time you were doing your other thing. I see it a lot with 
comedy too and with like improvisers and sketch comedians Mm -hmm. who have not studied acting in any format take you know a sketch class or do a conservatory at second city and then feel like they are owed a successful tv career right as an actor and you're like well yeah and they are so different i wouldn't go in i wouldn't go into our new fringe show about politics and movement and i wouldn't think well, I did an hour warm up of dance and now I'm fucking one of the so you think you can da- I couldn't think of one judge. I couldn't think of one <laughs> dancer. I literally couldn't think of one dancer. But you know what I mean? Like it's so true. I don't know why I think part of it is that you don't see any process with writing. Like mm-hmm. from the outside, mm-hmm. you just see the script or even even worse off, you only see the end product on the screen. You don't even see the actual script. So yes. I think there is this shame of like, oh, I'm an actor and I'm saying that I'm ready to be cast, like cast me in a sitcom and I could fucking nail it. Oh, but you ask me what acts are in a, you ask me to write a sitcom and I don't know the structure of a sitcom. There's that shame. And when you're coming up in acting, you're only, you're so focused on just training and acting. Actors just aren't taught or properly empowered no. about the industry at all. I went Anything to, else, yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. I went to a, a great theater school where the instructors were incredibly realistic with us and were basically shouting turn back like half oh. the time. <laughs> and we're very honest about like, yeah, we're professional artists living in Calgary, Alberta. Mm-hmm. Like our ballet teacher was like, yeah, I'm in the fucking whatever it was, Alberta, Calgary Ballet here's how little money I make and here's how sad my life is. And also I'm turning 29 and my body's about to break down. So good luck. So I do feel like I was given a fairer shot than some, Mm. but even with that, like our on-camera classes I took Mm -hmm. in theater school were about what to do for an audition and what Mm -hmm. you look like on camera. It wasn't, here's what an AD does. And here's you know, the list of producers on most shows and who has control over what, like, we're just not taught that kind of stuff. No, but we're expected to know it. That's a thing. We're expected to know all those things. And in those classes, a lot of the time you're learning how to do the audition, but a lot of it is also like, don't wear plaid. Like, you know, don't, I got told, don't put your hair in a ponytail. Don't, it wasn't until I worked in casting that I was like, I can, if I wear stripes, I'm not ending my career like this, yeah. these absolutes that I don't know if it's that, that sometimes I don't know, like in these workshops or things, if it's like, we feel like we need to, we need to make them feel like we're giving these actors like insider secrets to be valid, which I don't think they need. I think if you, if you're, if you're really teaching somebody something like they're going to feel it's valid, but anyway, it's just, yeah, it's really, it's frustrating. You're kind of like shamed. At least I was any point in my career from a professional in the career, if I didn't know something that was like, quote unquote, like obvious, how do you not know this? And if you didn't know something about the industry, then you, it were automatically made to feel like you were an incompetent actor. And it's like, well, how the fuck am I supposed to find this out? Because no one will tell me. Which the irony is half of those people who are turning their noses up at you, the stuff they think they know is wrong. Yeah. (laughs) When I joined ACTRA, which is the acting union in Canada, it's like SAG in Canada. uh, I was so excited. I've waited for so long. Mm -hmm. You have to do all these, you know, compulsory training courses. And one of them was basically like set etiquette and how film and TV works 101. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I've been working in TV and I've been making shit. I probably know this, but like, whatever, this will be interesting. Yeah. And the stuff they taught in that workshop. No shade to Actra. I love you. Please don't kick me out of the union. (laughs) 
it was just wrong or like uh, so oversimplified to the point it was nonsense like it made no sense there mm. there was one point where they made us do like an activity I also don't do well with <laughs> being forced to do child activities as an adult <laughs> right 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 <laughs> where it was like matching um names like roles in production with mm. the description of what they do so ad okay first ad producer and I wish I I wish I had it I'll have to try to find it and send it to mm. you post on social I, media. I wonder if I could do it but it was like the, produ- you couldn't because it was so bad. You know oh, much no. better what a producer does than what the actra, like the head acting union, the only acting union in the country is teaching every actor. And it was basically so simplistic and saying producers do like these three things. And I, as someone who have been working on so many different productions, yeah. knowing there are like 500 tiers of producers and their roles vary wildly and they can vary from show to show, show to to show. absolutely like, yeah sometimes a producer credit is totally a vanity credit because someone paid money and they are doing zero for the production other than yeah. bankrolling it and yeah. sometimes a producer is also basically you know production managing and they are mm-hmm. hustling and making everything happen anyway that moment for me was just like okay if the acting union is misleading or undereducating actors mm-hmm. about this there's nowhere else they're going to learn or be expected to learn it. No. And there, and that's happening once you, so for, to join the actors union, you need to do enough jobs that are a unionized job. Mm -hmm. And many jobs are not many acting jobs will be non-union, won't be a part of the union, but you need to do enough where you pay credits to be a part of the union. And then there's all these benefits, of course, but I'm thinking like some people I'm still non-union. Some people spend 10 years being non-union. So getting into the union at different times in in the past and whatever has been more difficult or more easy, right? Mm -hmm. But if it can take years, I kind of need to know that shit to even get into the union, presumably. Like I kind of need to know the 101 even to be able to enter the union. So it's just... It's surprise. I just don't know where actors go. Like where do, yeah. But I think that is where we circle back to. Mm. You would think you need to know that, but mm. actors aren't empowered right. in the entertainment industry. Yeah. So like it maybe it would help you. I'm sure it would help most actors to actually understand how things work, but they don't really need to know it. If you're doing yeah. a costume fitting and you're showing up on set and you have one line or your yeah. SOC silent on camera character in a commercial and then they shepherd you a PA brings yeah. you to set a PA brings you out yeah yeah maybe you find out you watch it desperately six months later being like here's my one line you've been cut out of you've like, been cut out of it completely yeah you're, you're totally so right yeah alienated from the actual yeah. filmmaking or television making of the process. Yeah, you're right. You don't really need to know it. Like the system is set up in a way that like you can, you can keep acting and you don't really need to know it. Yeah. That's so true. That's so yeah. true. And it makes such a difference when you meet professional actors who do give a shit and like mm. know people's name and understand mm. what they do, but you're not really trained to do that. I think at least in this country. And I yeah. would assume it's fairly similar in the States. But anyway, where were we? Writing? (laughs) Writing. Well, okay. You touched upon this um, huge victory of yours and Chris's, this script that you both wrote together um, called Let's Do This. And 
Okay. So I will, I have, I've probably already said this in the intro, but let's say it again because it's so fucking exciting. So was selected for the breaking through the lens program, two rounds, not just one people double shot rounds of the Harold Greenberg funding and has been optioned and is in development. And that is so fucking amazing. So incredible. Congratulations to you. Please tell hubby Chris, congratulations afterwards. And I am wondering, like, this was just so, okay. So I found out because you posted about it online and typical, typical narcissist. <laughs> Look at me, everybody. Okay, but you found out during COVID, what are you supposed to do? Typically, we might be out at comedy bar or say, hey, let's, you know what I mean? You you can't like, so of course you share online. Absolutely, you should share online. It's also sometimes I find the only way that people know that you're still doing something and therefore would want to be hired to do something. It like, it's almost a necessity to be posting online being like, Hey, update. I'm, I'm still interested in acting, hire me for acting. And then people are like, Oh yeah, she's an actor. So I love that you posted it online and it was during COVID and you have shared publicly online also and wrote the most, I re I reread your article that you wrote about being a caregiver to Chris, the hundred day mark. I re I reread it today. I've re I've read that thing like five times. Anyway, it's just so fucking well-written was not surprised that it was well-written, but it was beautifully written. Okay. So for listeners and viewers, your husband, Chris contracted COVID last March. It was, it was, it was, Oh, before COVID was even known to be in Canada. Yeah. Got it. Somehow we're real early adopters of things. We're like, (laughs) you're like, we wanted to try it out first. Let's see how it goes. I mean, Um, he does know about cool bands before anyone else does. So I guess it It just comes with it. It's like your biggest strength is your biggest weakness. Like if he's going to know about cool shit before he's also going to get the shitty shit first. So last March got it. And And at the hundred day mark of still having symptoms. And I know you mentioned that the doctors were saying he probably has recovered from COVID, but this is sort of like inflammation post COVID. And these are all these symptoms, but still having like very having symptoms that very much interrupt and disrupt day to day activities or like not even activities sleeping. Like it's not an activity. It's a necessity life. So at the hundred day mark, a hundred days later, when he is still suffering from these, from these symptoms. Mm -hmm. So just everyone wear a fucking mask and think about just read the article that Christy wrote. Cause it's fucking gorgeous anyway. And, but what I want to ask you about is that during this time, when you're finding out, like you've, like you found out that, um, that the script was getting into, Cancer cons. How do you say it? I believe it's con. Con. No S. <laughs> Every That's my shitty French Canadian. I should be bilingual. Oh my God. I yes. I mean, okay. I'm going to take what you say. Okay. Con. Every fucking time I forget and I panic. Okay. You find out this amazing, incredible news that the first feature film that you write and you write it with your like love soulmate partner together. And I remember you posting previous to this, you guys went to a cottage and you were writing and I was just like, oh my God, this is the cutest fucking thing in the whole world. I'm so excited. The first feature you write and you get notified that it gets all this positive attention and like success. Well, I just picture you getting the email and then looking to your, like you're sleeping on your couch in your living room in your basement apartment for like over a hundred days at this point while your husband sleeps in the bedroom, while you're disinfecting, while you're a full-time caregiver, what was it like finding all of this profession, positive professional news out while in your personal life, you and Chris, you and your husband are struggling so much to navigate the pandemic and like long-term symptoms of COVID that irony. And like, 
polar opposite situation. I just can't imagine. Like, what was that like? Did you get to celebrate at all? It's so fucking funny. Like, it's so <laughs> funny to me. I do like, I have a very dark sense of humor, Yeah, but yeah. my God, like that is so funny. Like, of course, That's something you're just scrapping for and scratching and trying desperately for. And then all of a sudden life gets put into perspective and things like the entertainment industry and a career as a screenwriter are like, yeah, that's great. That doesn't really matter. <laughs> right. Like, let's talk That'd about be humanity. nice. Sure. Yeah, let's exactly. Let's talk about yeah. like, yes, the love of my life who I've been with for at that point, 12 years, mm. like, and is he okay? And is he going to die of this mystery disease? And like, it was, it was so bizarre and mm -hmm. surreal and it was exciting because of course any positive reinforcement to any art you put out is really exciting I think mm -hmm. for me I'm so neurotic and I so I'm in a place of like well and basically shit and everything I do is terrible so whatever so any kind of mark of approval is a real win mm. But it was really funny because our the director who's attached to the movie uh, reached out and and we were talking about it and we were so excited and and we had found out we were shortlisted way earlier like January or something pre Ooh. pre pandemic in North America yeah <laughs> and at the time when we found out we were shortlisted the director had been like do you want to come like do you want to come to France and come to Cannes and meet people and blah 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 and it'll be so fun. And at the time I was broke and stressed and depressed. And I was like, I don't know, maybe who knows what's going to happen in whenever April. Um, and then when we found out that our project got in and it's this amazing breaking through the lens, it's this amazing, amazing project that really champions uh, films that are written or co-written by women and also directed by women or non-binary mm -hmm. people. Um, our director, Laura, was the first non-binary person to ever be like accepted into the program, which is great. Laura Campbell. Yeah. Holy crap. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. Fantastic. So, so we, when we got shortlisted, we were one of the only Canadian projects. I think we were the only comedy. Comedy tends to be kind of like. <laughs> what the, the fuck, people? The Comedy's great. Weir the weirdo kid in the back of the classroom of yeah. film world. Yeah. Uh, I went to, I, right before the pandemic, I went to a film lab in Reykjavik in Iceland um, for their film festival. And I wasn't really sure about going because I kind of felt like, ah, I'm, I don't know, I'm like an actor writer and I'm a comedy guy. Like I'm not going to be a film person and I went and it was like the best experience of my life and uh, it was so so affirming and it, it shook stuff up for me a lot and I met friends who I'm still like close with it was incredible but it was one of those funny things where very much it was like myself and the wonderful Paige Cloney who's my new like soulmate in Los Angeles who is an incredible actor and comedian she's so fucking funny and she had written the short film she was there with co-written it and we were like the two class clowns in the back of the class <laughs> just like talking shit well all of these incredible filmmakers in the program were like talking about stuff that was so over our heads and you know poking up all this knowledge that did not apply to us because we're never gonna hire a composer for our feature right film right right yeah, yeah. Um, and it was uh, so I, I always feel a little nervous going into film spaces both because film is a very director dominated mm. um 
medium. It's all Mm -hmm. about the director, the director's movie. So Mm. even for something like let's do this, our script is what got the project into that program along Mm -hmm. with Laura's application. But like our names were not attached to anything (laughs) on that. It was all just the director, which is how film works. Mm -hmm. But it's also tends to be less hospitable to comedy and like Mm -hmm. hard see comedy. If it's a you know, a dark, depressing movie with like a few little laughs in there. Great. Um, but it's hard. Comedy is hard. And it's either film people who aren't comedians trying to be funny mm-hmm. or comedians who are not experienced in film trying to mm-hmm. navigate the world. It, it can be really intense. So we were so grateful to get into that program, both as the only Canadian project and the only comedy project. First non-binary director. It was just like so many wins, so many. Yeah. And such a, again, that is like, let's do this as a script. Chris and I had an idea for, for years and years when we finally decided, okay, we're going to do this. We were in our basement furiously, like (laughs) typing on our laptop, sitting across from each other on our desk. Like it was such a labor of love and it came Mm. so much out of, you know, our hearts. Like it sounds so fucking cheesy, but it was just so much like, like it was very pure in the way we made it. We weren't making it to sell it. We weren't making it because it's what the market likes or whatever. It was Mm. like, we had this idea for a movie about a group of friends in Toronto who can't afford to pay back their student loans and decide to do a heist. But they're like super shitty at doing a heist, obviously, because they're like us. They're just normal millennials (laughs) with very soft (laughs) skills who like have no idea what they're doing and have watched Fast and Furious too many times. So it was just, it came from like that place. And to get all these marks of approval when we got the Harold Greenberg funding the first time, it it was also like, okay, we wrote this thing and we could just be delusional, like wackos in our basement, but there are industry professionals who have no vested interest in supporting us specifically. Yeah. They think it's good enough to pay us money to write another draft and give us notes to improve it because they think this is a makeable film and they really love it. And Oh, and- I just got chills. God, what yeah, a fucking like- feeling to, re- to, to receive that validation and like oh. that. Yeah. And that especially support. when you're living in that constant place of like, I'm not good enough. I'm shit. I don't know what I'm doing. Blah, blah, blah. Imposter syndrome times a hundred mixed with a healthy dose of yeah, I also kind of don't know what I'm doing. And I also (laughs) didn't do a master's in screenwriting. And so the whole thing has just been like such a bizarre experience. Yeah. So, so many highs like that. And then even, you know, with these great things happening again and again, and these wonderful producers signed on to our project, which we're so grateful for, and they paid us to write another draft. But it's still like that movie might not ever get made. Mm. They still like it's a very it has turned into we wrote it uh, conservatively. It has turned into a much higher budget film. (laughs) It's so funny to be like, okay, so we wrote something that's good enough to get recognition and to beat out other projects a couple times over for these things. Yeah, that feels like a bit of a check mark, a bit of a okay, you guys are kind of good at writing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, but the movie might not get made. Mm. No one really knows. The only thing that came from our project getting into con was our director was able to help develop it a little bit. And Mm. one financier offered to uh, like basically be the first funder of the film Mm. and and pay, put a little bit 
And by a little bit, I mean, like, I forget what it was, a hundred or 200 grand, like a mm-hmm. lot of money, a lot a little... of money, but a drop in what you would need to actually make something. Exactly. Totally. Like that happened. And the press release, there was a press release in Variety or something. And we got an email from someone who's like a tangential producer at Private Eyes, which is a Canadian television show. All right, basically yeah. being like, I'm kind of connected with that show. Do you want to send me the script? And then maybe I'll eventually reach out to you for writing work. And we were like, yeah, great. Anything need money. Uh, but like, that's it. That's all that, like, we don't have writing agents. Yeah. We don't have reps who are getting us other writing work. So it's, it's this weird thing to feel like so much co-signing and so much stamp, so much, so many stamps of approval. Yeah. And yet- I still, for the most part, kind of feel like I'm in the same place I was four or five years ago. Mm. I'm a, I'm a better writer for sure. <laughs> yeah. But career wise, yeah, I have a couple connections. I have a couple, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I, it, it's a really, it's a really hard place to be in because then it goes back to like, okay, so do we, Chris and I want to write more stuff. And we, we are very lucky to have some friends and some connections who are like people who are interested in working with us. But do we take a couple months and focus on writing a project and write a new script and see if we can, you know, get it out there, get it optioned, whatever. Meanwhile, we live together. We're a partnership. The Mm -hmm. bills have to be paid. Like we have, we literally, like you can't not pay rent. You can't not have groceries. So it's a weird balancing act of figuring out how much do we invest in this sort of future dream and how much do we have to be realistic and be responsible? Yeah. And, and, and very often, you know, there's this, there's this sort of somewhat flippant response sometimes from people that they might be like, well, you, you put like, put in the money and you get it back or like you invest now and then it pays off, but it's also like, okay, we'll think about the script that you two wrote was 2016. You said that you, you had the idea 17. Oh, idea. Probably 2015, like a long time ago. Yeah. We were like, LOL. What about a low stakes heist <laughs> in Toronto? Wouldn't that yeah. be good? And then I think it was 2018 that we wrote the first wrote draft. it. Okay. Yeah. So let's say three years later. Right. Or like, for example, I mean, beck and call the series that I, that myself, Emma and Dave are working on that, that we talked about before we started that in 2013. So it's mm-hmm. like, Things take a long time and, and yes, it's easy to say, okay, well, if you take this month off, like it'll pay off in the long run. But if you're thinking the long run is this same year, even sometimes it's, it doesn't, it's not the case. So it can be so hard to play that balancing act between like practicality and, and it can be, it can seem as like dream or passion, but really it's just investment in your creative career that just isn't financially fruitful yet. And it's really yeah. hard to decide that, especially like you said, when it's, you're also a partnership, it's not like you're saying, okay, I'm going to save up this money. And then Chris, I'm going to take a month off and go right with Laura and you're going to keep work. You know what I mean? It, that's yeah. not how it works. So it's hard totally. to sort of work that out. And again, that just, it circles back. Like, I feel like I'm forever harping on this point, but mm. the entertainment industry has historically been like so inequitable and so unfair because- mm unless you have the capital to be able to take time to do Mm -hmm. anything, Mm -hmm. you are going to be competing against people who do have that and who Who can do it 24 seven. 
Yeah. And it, it's really, and that's not to say like someone like Amber, who I mentioned at the top, who's so mm. prolific, she has worked her ass off and she has hustled. And it's not like someone was bankrolling her. She's a trust fund kid. Like she worked at a theater festival and was, you know, doing all kinds of stuff to as her Joe job and then waking up at fucking two in the morning and writing her screenplay. Like mm-hmm. it's not that it's impossible, but like, it's not fair. Yeah. And that, and that's tricky. And it's, I mean, let's do this as a great example, because that's a, that's a project where it's like, if that film gets made, Chris mm. and I will get a nice big paycheck. Mm-hmm. If the film doesn't get made, we'll never see another cent again. Yeah. So it's like, we're waiting on things that are out of our control. Yeah. That you can't absolutely. It's up to other people to get it made at this point. A bunch yeah. of people who we're not actively like in contact with, like it's all, it's all them. Mm-hmm. And there's so many steps before that film would get made. I mean, they'd want to do a polish and punch up probably with like a BIPOC writer. Um, I know Laura would like a queer writer to do a pass because Laura is queer and Laura wants to really infuse those themes into the script. And that's not something a couple of straighties are apt to do. <laughs> uh, and then they would have to go into financing and casting and locations and so much stuff before the film would actually get made. Yeah. Let alone before people would see it. Like, you know, yes, it's just, it's totally. so, it takes so long. But it's just the kind of thing where it's like, if that movie got made, we would get a paycheck that would mean we could write for six to nine months yeah. and not worry about paying our bills. Yeah. But if it doesn't, we're scrambling and we're <laughs> yeah. and I'm, you know, doing my Joe jobs or picking up random writing gigs here and there. Yeah. It's like a little crazy making to feel yeah. like, oh, one thing that's fully out of your control. And it's the same with acting. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I am not at the level where I'm auditioning for like the lead in a series, but I imagine if you're auditioning for the lead in the series, like your whole life could change if you're yeah. going from a gigging working actor working your shitty restaurant job to Mm -hmm. you don't have to work a restaurant job for a few years you're good yeah it absolutely is a little crazy making because it it makes um decision making almost impossible because Mm -hmm. you're like okay and you hear these mantras like invest in yourself believe in yourself do these things and you're like okay great i should really do that also though, am I going to go tens of thousand dollars into debt and then regret it later? Like how, when do you take that leap? And I think what can be so confusing or maybe dangerous is also a lot of these, like I'm using air quotes, like success stories, like romanticize hustle culture where it's yeah. like, look, but she made it. And yeah, she only slept two, two hours a night and she worked 17 jobs and she worked at every single festival. And part of me is also like, okay, well, I also, when it happens, I'm being really good with terminology lately, not if, but when, when I am paying all my bills with acting, I also want to be in a place where I can enjoy it. And I'm mentally and emotionally and physically healthy enough I don't need to be at my tip top best sh- like mental state, whatever, but at least be in a place where I'm not so depleted that then I can actually enjoy being on a fucking TV show. It really is crazy making. It I, really is. I have, because I went to theater school, mm-hmm. I graduated in 2009. So that's, that's over a decade ago. I graduated. So the way that most Meisner conservatories work is you start with a bigger class and then mm. you be like selected to come back for year two don't get me started. That's fucking terrifying. Uh, Oh my God. I would have so much anxiety about not being selected. No braggies. I got in. 
Yeah, uh, you did. <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, but I, I like, I have like the, the 10 people kind of who graduated with me and the class above me and the class below me. And I look to those people and of those people, really one or two have successfully professionally acted. Mm. One of, one of them, she's an incredible actress. So good. Helen Knight. She is phenomenal. Hire her for everything, but she is also like a full-time nurse. She was a nurse before she came to school with us. Oh, wow. She still has that job. I shouldn't say full-time. I, I know she's gone part-time and full-time, but like she got a bunch of gigs in the theater Calgary scene and she nailed it. And then because of that, she came here and she did one of those shows at Soul Pepper and she is so good. She came and did a fringe show here. And other than a handful of people, most of the people who spent upwards of 20, 30 grand on training are not pursuing acting at all. They're not doing it at all because it is too hard. It is too stressful. It's so competitive and it's so fucking random. It's so based on luck. And I think that's something I did not understand how the entertainment industry worked until I got my TV job Mm. and saw the behind the scenes and saw the production side. And I think so much of acting is we are all taught in those workshops where they're like, here's your secret to the industry. Don't wear stripes. That's what's been blocking you. Yeah. It's such a like grasp for control because Mm -hmm. the truth is with acting, there's no control. Mm -hmm. You can know someone, you can look good in an audition. You can remind someone of their high school crush. And that's why you get cast. You have no control over any of those things, unless you're showing up routinely to auditions, like, I don't know, stoned and drunk and not knowing your sides. (laughs) Yeah. There's like, as long as you look okay and you're, you know, presenting yourself in a professional manner, that's all you can really handle. So I just feel like it's such a case of people trying to have control over something there's no control over Mm -hmm. or figure out, like figure out, Oh, what's that secret, like a secret. Absolutely. Let's figure out how this works. And, and, and maybe that's the crazy making is like figuring out how a chaotic, the K I can't even talk because of the um figuring it also is your martini glass i just i keep hitting my desk is your martini glass green it is oh my god for the olives i love that it's colored it's my alphabet martini glass yes (sighs) actually bought this with the wonderful adele Dix when we were doing youtube videos in our early 20s being like that's what's gonna send us to the top of the success yeah, ladder. Is. random oh. youtube videos where we drink alcohol <laughs> you never know someone might find it and be like i don't like something about these two i'll be here. like great i'm not 21 anymore is that a problem <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah, oh my gosh it's just it's just such a weird hard industry to navigate yeah. and i think people really cling to things that feel like, oh, this is it. This is the secret. When Mm -hmm. the truth is it's mostly random. It's mostly Mm -hmm. luck. I know people and I know, I'm sure you have too. I, I know so many people who have gotten entertainment industry jobs. They don't really want and aren't exactly what they're working towards, but it's a gig. So you take Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And that gig is someone else's dream job. Yeah. They don't have the the connections. Like I I have two close friends who have both gotten TV writing jobs in the last couple of years. Both of them are actresses who are incredible actors. They they mostly want to perform. Like they're not doing a dual career thing. They want to be an actor, 
but they're getting these writing jobs. So they're taking them. And to me, I'm like, ah, like that's my fucking dream. Yeah. Such an in for me. Yeah. But I also have been offered things that aren't my dream that of course I take because it's a gig and a gig is a gig. And so it's, I try to remember that a lot that like your shitty gig you're just doing is someone's dream job and vice versa. Ew, I just got chills. That was beautiful, Christy. It's true though. And it's so hard, I think, to remember when you feel like you're working so hard and you're fighting so hard. And I wonder if part of it is just with age because I am Mm. like, I'm 31, I'm not 21 anymore. Mm. And I've seen so many people sort of fluke into things, but that's just sort of the way it works. And you kind of have to come to terms with that and be okay with it. And that's also where I think circling back to like, why are you doing what you're doing? Yes. So oh my God. Yeah. I want to be an actress. I want to be a movie star. That's how I felt <laughs> at five. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I'm not five anymore, I can zoom out and say like, well, what do I really want to do? I want yeah. to empower women. I want to empower marginalized people. I want to tell stories that haven't been told from perspectives that we haven't seen much of. I want to like, those are the things that matter to me. And so thinking about like, okay, backtracking from that and reverse engineering, what can I do where I'll actually be able to have a say or affect change or tell a story versus, oh, God damn it. Like, Get to be so a movie lucky. star. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. oh, great. A 16-year-old was discovered because she's so beautiful. And now she's not named for an Oscar. Cool, cool, cool. That's what like, I wanted too, Frig. I was like, well, I can't be the youngest to win an Oscar anymore. I remember mourning that day. I was like, well, as a kid, I'm like, well, I can't be impressive anymore. It's over. I mean, look, the entertainment industry has such a gross fascination, as does society with mm. youth and you know that whole piece yeah that I think the pressure to be a, a wonderkind and to be the one who comes out and is so yeah. incredible young like it's very ingrained into us I think especially girls especially mm-hmm. good high achieving girls and that's so sad because like I was so dumb when I was young well yeah it's like, like fuck that yeah I'm way better I am such a better person performer friend person to myself partner all of the above I am fucking killing it more right now than I ever was. And let's also say I'm crying almost every day because I don't oh. know what to do with the pandemic, but Please. I am still in a much better place right now. Talk about turning, like I turned 31 this year. So same as Hi. And I think it's also like when you were saying, I think you get you in general, but you and I also as writer, actor, creator, we get so used to feeling like a failure that I actually don't know. Like I've sat down and thought, okay, well, what actually would make you not feel like a failure? Because I will never forget. I remember listening to a podcast where that Tony Hale was on and he was sharing how his dream was to book a sitcom. All he wanted was to get a, a, like a comedic sitcom. And then he booked Arrested Development. His, his seemingly his dream job, this thing he'd been working towards. And he did not get to enjoy it because all he thought about was, okay, well, if we get canceled, what's my next, my next job? Okay. We're not going to get another season. You only know in retrospect, how many seasons you're going to get of a show. And he, and so I'm thinking I'm okay. I'm telling myself this lie that I'm going to feel like a failure until blank, until I book a TV show, but I'm lying because as soon as I book that TV show, I'm going to feel like a failure that I'm not in movies, that I'm not in a different TV show, that I'm not friends with this person. And I think 
in this last year, especially, and I really don't know if it's like turning 30 and turning 31 or if it's just COVID or everything, but I'm realizing that it's success was always really important to me. And I think it was just like, I wanted objective validation. I wanted validation that nobody could argue with, that everyone agreed with, which is fucking impossible. Um, (laughs) So I realized though, really, it's more important to me to be happy than successful. And my happiness isn't going to come from any sort of success. Like they're just not tied. I thought they were tied for so long and they're not. And I give a shit way more about being happy. And I think with like, any, any of the arts, I think it's so easy to feel like, well, when I'm five, I want to do this thing. And if I don't do that thing, even in the next 30 years, then I'm a failure. If I step away from it, I'm giving up instead of like, no, I think this makes me way happier or doing it this way makes me happier doing it in a way where I don't have to be on all the time or where I can have my voice heard, where I can do things I actually give a shit about. Doing those things will make you feel better than the success you imagined when you were a kid. I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to you. I'm not meaning to like preach at you, but no, look, it's, it's like, it's so good. And you're not wrong. Like, first of all, I almost cut you off 20 minutes ago because <laughs> so much of this comes down to like capitalism is fucked and yes. the society we live in teaches us to value things that don't matter and yeah. to hurt ourselves and others in able in order to be able to like make more money which is terrible yeah and, and not more money for us no, <laughs> they'll end sorry. up being making more money for other fucking people too yeah I'm gonna stop oh. before this turns into like a drunk <laughs> version of the you're wrong about <laughs> podcast which is great and everyone should listen to but also I I it made me what you just said made me think of mm. I was listening to a talk by somebody it might've been Hank Green. It mm. was it was a YouTuber and they were talking about how like, you don't, you don't owe it to your younger self to follow their dreams. Oh like, my God. I'm going to follow current dreams. Yes. And it just hit me. It was like lightning to the brain yeah. where I was able to think, okay, I need to every so often step back and look at what am I doing? Mm-hmm. What do I want to be doing? Is there anything I can change in my current life to more actively work towards my goals right now, my goals today, not what my goals were when I was 20 or 15 or five right now, what matters to me? And I think that was also a a huge shift with me pivoting more to writing focus because Mm -hmm. it was like right now, what I want to do is like tell stories that matter and have my voice be heard. And that's mm-hmm. definitely not how happening in writing mm-hmm. or in acting. In acting. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I, I really try to think about that fairly often in terms mm-hmm. of let's not like, I, I think I have had an issue of thinking very big picture for a really long time. Mm-hmm. The goal is Broadway. The goal is movie star lead on a sitcom yeah. without actually thinking, well, what do you want? What kind of life do you want? Do you Mm -hmm. want a life where I am acting on a Canadian TV show and I have to wake up at 3 a.m. and get driven to set and sit in makeup and learn 40 pages of sides every day and, you know, do a show that you don't even care about and that's making, okay, money, but Canadian TV money. Like, Mm -hmm. is that my dream? And I, like, asking myself those things regularly, I have found is very, very helpful. Fuck. I f- I'm just like, I'm going to thank God I have this recorded. I'm going to listen to this. 
Okay. I can't wait for you to listen back. And it's just two vodka voices being like, <laughs> actually, like, capitalism bad. Yeah. You know what? You are a movie star. I don't care what yeah. Canada says about us. <laughs> Sorry, oh my God. Fuck. You know what? I'll, maybe I'll just get drunk to edit it so that then I'll see it in the same like goggles. You know, I would love that. <laughs> I would love to listen to a, a, five minute version of this podcast where you're <laughs> oh like, God, nothing's yes. usable. Sorry. No, I'm so sorry. We're going to have to re-record Patreon. Uh, hey. This episode will just be on Patreon. Okay. So um, I end my episodes. I end my episodes. Oh, what? No, it just no, sounds no. pretentious and stupid. No, it's not. <laughs> how no. I want to end, how I typically end my episodes and also how I want to end this episode, which is ours and not mine, is um, I want to ask you some quick questions. Great. I love okay, a rapid fire. Oh I my God. It. Okay. What's a current show that you would love to be a writer for? Oh, this is already too hard. Already. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to need five hours <laughs> to process this, think about it, feel it. I mean, the first thing that pops to mind is search party. So good. Search party is a show that does something I think very few TV shows are able to do. Mm. And that is blend tone and genre seamlessly and go from a dark drama mm-hmm. to a weird wacky comedy back into drama back into something kind of mysterious and detective-y and noir it blows my mind the stuff they've been able to do and the cast is is a huge part of that yes but also but the writing Whew. is bonkers you know what now that you say that that is sort of the perfect, like if someone said, oh, Christy created that show, I wouldn't be surprised. I would totally see that coming from your brain. I think you need to write on that show. That is like truly my dream. I'm working on a new one hour sample, basically a one hour pilot right now, because everything I do is comedy. Everything I do is in half hour comedy, sitcom, sitcom. And I realized I have to have a one hour sample. I'm a writer. There's a lot of one hour shows in Canada. But the way I'm doing it is very much like, okay, like a Buffy, Winona, Earp. It's still mostly jokes and comedy. And you got to just... stay true to your heart. You know, yeah, you I can't... just, I can't not make my dialogue like snarky and quippy. I fucking love snarky and quippy. Just but do yeah, it. Yeah. I, I would say that that show has been, has been the one for me that I, Chris and I have been watching it since it premiered and it mm. just became available in Canada. And so now finally all our friends we've so been preaching good. to for so long are watching it and oh. I'm so happy. And they keep, I keep getting messages from so many random friends referencing things in like season two, season one that I have no <laughs> yeah, idea yeah. what they're talking about. Who yeah. characters. But I'm like, yeah, I bet it's great. That I bet it's perfect. amazing. I have to, okay, I know these are quick questions, but I just want to mention, because I don't know many people who have seen Search Party, is the one scene, and I just binge watched all of it uh, late last year, early this year. I'm not, honestly, just everything has, I feel like COVID has been a month and a decade. So Mm -hmm. in the past, since COVID, binged all of it. But um, there is a scene, I don't remember what season, a later season. There's a scene where, and this is not, giving a spoiler, but like, just skip ahead, I guess, if you're a little nervous, but it's not really giving any spoilers. Cause I hate spoilers. It is a scene where there are two cars who, <laughs> who are tailing each other. I already know what you're talking. You literally okay. don't have to explain the scene. That anymore. scene, Christy, when I watched it in the roundabout, I was, fl- I was watching my brother. I was flipping my shit. I genuinely, I think that is the best written like comedic or any scene I have ever seen in my entire life. Okay, so 
Nicola Scola is mm. in that scene mm. and he is one of my favorite performers in the world. I Wait, which one is he? Who, who is he? So um, who does see, he now? Play? I don't know how to do this without. Oh, okay. 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 You know what? He's the, Just he's the twink. I'll say that. And you. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. 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 Yes. Got it. Got it. Got um, it. Got it. Oh, good perhaps, way of not spoiling. Yeah, perhaps yeah, yeah. he's in a car with Susan Sarandon, but maybe um, not because love a Susan. Who could say? Maybe it's uh, Sigourney Weaver. We don't know anymore. He is so incredible. Chris and I saw his. He he came to Toronto with like his one man show, and it was so outrageous. But also the people in the audience. Like usually when you go to comedy shows in Toronto, if you're in the comedy community, you know everybody. Yeah. And then if you go to like a play, maybe you see one or two people who kind of cross over in that world. Yeah. And that show, hey, it was incredible. He's incredible. He's so funny. But the people in the audience, it was like all the genius weirdos who I am so intimidated by. It was like the Kayla Loretz of the city were all there. And I was like, of course you love this. (laughs) Chris and I wrote a role for him in our feature. (gasps) And the character name was Cole until the very last rewrite where we were like, we have to change the name because (laughs) you don't want to get sued or whatever. Yeah. yeah. He's the best. That show's great. Anyway. Yes, that's my okay. answer. The Love only it. the only secondary uh, yeah. response to that is like if I could write on a superstore or some kind of ensemble <gasps> sitcom, like yes. that is my that is my bread and butter. That is what Ooh, I want to do. I love that. Okay, we're putting it out there. Search party, superstore. <laughs> Get at Christy. I know you're all listening right now. Get at Christy. Okay. I also did just do a quick punch-up job for an educational kids series. Punch-up is like you try to write funnier alts for the jokes, basically. And when I asked for, okay, what kind of like vibe are you going for for this educational Canadian children's show? The showrunner said sort of search party for kids. What does that even mean? I thought that was the funniest thing in the world and immediately was like, if I don't get this job. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm fucking born for this job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if I don't get it, this is a fucking sign. Oh my God, that's so fucking funny. Um, as an actor, you book a huge movie and you are getting your, you get, you get a list of like, or you get to put shit in your rider of like what you have Ooh. to have in your green room. <laughs> what is, and you can have like as many as you like, but what's one thing that's going to be on your rider that like you have to have in your green room. I hate myself. It's like, <laughs> it's like a buffet of yes. sparkling waters. Ooh, like all different brands or all different flavors. Yes. So I have specifics. Oh, I I'm love gonna it. I'm need like and this is also when I'm at my diva phase. And yeah, I you are doing this. Which a hundred percent. We're gonna need a grapefruit Perrier. Yes, we are. We're gonna need a couple Lacroix. Um, oh, which ones? It depends on what I'm in the mood for. Like yeah. right now, I'm yeah. very into a peach pear. Ooh. Um, but you know what? It it changes. I like. Yeah. I do that thing where you do too much and then you get sick of it. And, and then you, you hate it. Yeah. 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 Uh, probably a bubbly or two. I haven't tried yeah. the pineapple flavor yet, but I've heard that's very good. Natalie well, Metcalf, shout out. Keeps talking about oh, it. Hey, Natalie, let's throw one in there. Uh, yeah. So, and then like probably a couple really fancy imported ones I've never heard of that. Oh. Like, yeah, I need this. Yeah. 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 Like I, I want to sample some while I'm here and waiting. I love that exactly. so much. That's yeah. fucking awesome. Okay. Um, who is someone that you want to collaborate with that you haven't gotten oh. to yet? That's such a good question. Yeah. I'm also just like, let's just manifest the fuck out of these oh. like rapid fire questions. Cause sometimes I am like, sometimes you just have to ask. 
And then people might say, yes. So we got to put it out there. You're really setting yourself up for me to be like, I know we're not going to record another episode, but can we just meet (laughs) on zoom every week? And you sort of like hype me up. Yes. Okay. I have a couple answers to this. Okay. I love it. Okay. (laughs) So my, my, the first one that pops to mind is Nanachka Khan, who is an, she's an incredible writer and showrunner. She created the show. Don't trust the bee in apartment 23, a highly underrated sitcom. You should all go watch. I believe it's on Canadian. I have seen that. And of course you would love it because it has that dude in it. Thank you very much. You know what? Have you ever met Susan Wasick? Yes, I have at beck and call actually. Oh my God. Right. Duh. Okay. Right. She was right. First, I just feel okay. like I'm, I'm sure she wouldn't know who I am. She totally would you. I, anyway, I just had a vision of a little bit of sister wives of like mm-hmm. you and Susan love so much of the same pop culture. Okay. Anyway. Yes. I have seen that show. Okay. So Nanashi Khan created that show. She also created oh. a show called fresh off the boat. Based okay. on Eddie Huang's memoirs, which is incredible. If you haven't watched it, it's about um, an Asian American family coming to America. It's set in the nineties. So it's like very nostalgic. Anyone around our age-ish, you'll get a lot of like nostalgia vibes from it. And it's so good. She was also a staff writer and then became the showrunner of Pepper Ann, which is an iconic nineties cartoon. Oh my God. How do I not know about her fucking legend? So she like in my mind, she essentially like molded my comedy brain through Pepper Ann <laughs> yeah, and then totally. delivered me these sitcoms that yes. fed that exact brain and are so good. So yeah, I think she's incredible. I would love to work with her one day. She's so, 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 so talented and so funny and smart. And this, the output is just it's like weird and wacky in a way that just delights my brain. There's a scene in Don't Trust the Bee where one of the characters wanted to make like a like a photo montage of the other character and her boyfriend, but she's like, I didn't have any pictures of him or know what he looks like. So I just used pictures of Dave from Happy Endings, which is another <laughs> sitcom I love so much. And I, uh, when I yes. watch that and then they show the montage in the background's like, hey, soul sister or something. Yeah, it yeah. broke my brain. Like it exploded. I just thought like, <laughs> that's the joke I wish I had written. Oh that's my so God. Funny. I can't believe you can get away with that on TV. Like, I feel like I'd be too afraid to write that so she is like a number one if I sold a show and they were like you got to bring on a more experienced showrunner I'd be like please her anything please yeah um and then in terms of like the Toronto community Mm -hmm. there's so many people here I would love to work with and are so talented and I've been developing projects with Christian Smith and Kevin Vidal yes wonderful actors and comedians they have a duo a sketch duo called soul decision I've been working with them since I think 2017 developing different shows pitching them trying to get them made it's a no guess what we have a new idea develop it again and we are (laughs) currently developing a new premise which I think is so good and I won't say much about it it, but they are so funny and they're so talented and I just want to write something where the two of them can play weirdo versions of their codependent best self best friend selves yes and I just want to like write the words for their mouths I love them so much and I feel like we've put in too much time that's like no we have to get something you have 100% you're like listen this investment we have to see the ROI 
return on investment. I only learned that because my partner got really into investing lately. So I'm really learning the terms. I'm like, all right, am I a financial queen? I love it. Fucking love that. Um, okay. You host this. I'm saying this, you know, this, but for viewers and listeners who live under a rock, you host spilling Eve, which is a podcast about the fantastic show killing Eve, which also I feel like you could write. Um, if you were to create a podcast about another show that's currently on the air, what show would you pick? <laughs> okay. I have to answer honestly, because yeah. it came so quickly. Okay. Yeah. You have to. Um, yeah. Yeah. Trust your gut. I would love to say some sort of prestige television show. No, I've been it. watching all the good stuff, but the truth is it's the pandemic. My partner has been sick for whatever you said, 400 days, 400 or days no or something. Yeah. Um, so when Chris was really sick yeah. at his worst, he couldn't focus on anything. Mm-hmm. He was just lying in bed all day. So tired and any kind of reading or even watching, like he loves films. He loves you know, he loves like real film in a way that I don't. And I'm so lucky to have him for the references, but like he will watch, you know, seventies Italian giallos. And I'm like, let's watch reality TV only. (laughs) Yes. Um, So he couldn't watch any of that stuff. He just like couldn't Mm -hmm. focus on it. So he, through his siblings, got very into Survivor. (gasps) And I have fallen on board yes survivor like he watched all of it he basically watched all of survivor and then was starting to feel a little better and we could watch stuff together so we caught up on some shows started watching john oliver again and then slowly i don't know how this happened he was like i would love to re-watch all of the survivor seasons that you have not seen oh oh my god my heart we have watched probably 16 or 17 seasons together. I don't know. I'm not keeping track. I got to ask him, uh, but I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. Currently we're like midway through the finale of a season. So as soon as yeah. I end this podcast, I'm going to go like probably get, grab another drink and finish the season, get so psyched about who won. Uh, so it would probably be survivor, which like starting a survivor podcast in 2021 is very funny in itself. Yes. Uh, And also maybe very accurate because it's like, everyone's just trying to survive. Oh my God. If you ever have guests on, I will rewatch survivor and do that with you. I fucking love it. Actually. I don't know if you've gotten to a season yet where there is a young, like a younger man, boy named Spencer who like, I okay. watched two seasons with Spencer. Okay, fabulous. I didn't want to give any spoilers. So when I was in Chicago with my partner, we wanted to go to this little tiki bar and who did I see but Spencer? And I freaked the fuck out. And of course my partner did not know who he was at all. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. I will send you. I of course asked him to take a selfie because I'm, because I don't fucking care. Mm-hmm, I'll send mm-hmm. it to you. Um, that is fabulous. This. If yeah. you ever need help on your Survivor podcast, <laughs> let me know. Like I can only imagine there are ten thousand existing Survivor Absolutely. podcasts that in are real excellent. time. Probably that's just that's the only thing I'm watching enough of that's getting in. Like yes, I watched amazing amazing things this year. Yeah, you know, like uh, it's just there's been so much good stuff. But Survivor is sort of like the floating tiki torch of my brain. Yes, yes. And doing a podcast about a show that isn't currently on the air also gives you the freedom to 
record a bunch and not have to record, edit and release every single week. Like you had to do with spilling you, which I don't know how you did that marathon. So maybe survivors are good. At, like I'm picturing you going back and doing all the survivors, but maybe you could just do the next, like the next season that's on. But here oh. I am thinking of you going back and like doing the old seasons, which I think would be so fun. I mean, um, maybe just for you, I'll record my thoughts on every episode yeah. of survivor. And then send it to you. This it's is really just becoming like- a voice note. Like just send me a voice note. Like tonight, Night when you and Chris finish the finale, let me know like who won so I can remember yeah. the season and let me know what you guys thought. Well, it wasn't Spencer, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Spoiler from 17 <laughs> years ago. Um, okay, my last quote unquote quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what is something that you're feeling grateful for today? Because I'm a cheese ball, so I gotta finish cheesy and hopefully on a feel good for us to defend yourself. In yeah, you're house. right. You're right. I love, listen, people say gratitude helps heal you. And I'm still trying to see the fruit of it. No. I, what are you feeling grateful for today? <laughs> uh, very much for my niece and nephew. Aww. Uh, my sister Kaylee had a couple kids ever heard of them. Children <laughs> turns out they're the hope of the future light of the world. Uh, oh God. I, yeah. I love those kids so much. So my sister had her first kid three years ago. And then during the pandemic had her second child. Mm. And it's been so sad because our relationship has been so over the internet. And even though they only live a couple hours away, like they're very close, but it just hasn't been possible. But because my niece, my oldest niece is three, Mm -hmm. just old enough to be really good at zoomy kind of interactions and we've been able to foster such a fun relationship and we have like a few random stuffed animals just Chris and I have kept over the years that are sentimental to us and they've now become like puppets and characters in her world and she will like she's excited to talk to us but if one of those stuffed animals comes on the screen, she is ecstatic. She's like, okay, goodbye to my aunt and uncle. <laughs> I don't I give only, a shit. I yeah. only want to talk to this like weird green alien stuffed animal <laughs> that Chris got 20 years ago at a concert. And that is very sentimental. Out. Yeah. <laughs> but, like she loves them so much and they become Aww. such a part of her world. And the baby has just started, he's just started like smiling to camera and like kind of noticing us, you know, object permanence, yada, yada. And those two are, they're like my favorite thing in the world. In my group chats, all I do is spam pictures of my niece and nephew. It's like, I know people worry that when you're a parent, your personality changes, but I am not a parent. I am an aunt and my personality is fully aunt now. I don't care about anything else. I'm only like, guess what? One of them had to go to the dentist. Isn't that wild? They're so oh Chrissy, I feel like I do that, but like, I'm not a technical aunt, but there are four little girls that is like my, like a friend of mine has a daughter. And then my cousin has three daughters. And I am so today, literally my partner was like, he called me and he's like, yeah, I'm not having a great day, but you know what? I just went on Instagram and watched some videos that we just call them all the babies, watch some videos of the babies. And I'm feeling a lot better. They're fucking lights of the world. That's just like, it's like, in. Yeah. It's wild. What a two minute video of a oh. kid doing any dumb shit. And it, can yeah. just do to turn around your day. And it's like, it just shakes you out of your head. And again, it just reminds you of like, 
this doesn't matter. Who yeah. cares? Who cares? My, like I love my mom is not interested or clued into the entertainment industry at all. Yeah. So whenever I tell her things like she doesn't care, it doesn't matter to her. She's just like, are you happy? Are you doing good? Aww, is that yeah. good? And it's so good for me to remember like, oh, to me, this is the hugest deal in the world to her. Like she doesn't care about the Toronto improv scene. She doesn't yeah. care about, you know, <laughs> like I told her a story about Jake Gyllenhaal coming into a restaurant. I worked at one time it was a whole story with avocado toast. Check it out on the Patreon. But <laughs> now she calls avocado toast, Jake Gyllenhaal toast. And she doesn't know who Jake Gyllenhaal is. It's the funniest thing in the world to me. It's like my favorite thing. That's the fucking best thing ever. I'm going to start calling it that. Yes. I mean, oh, I do yeah. know who he is, but I'm going to start calling it that. As well, you should. Let's get it catching up. <laughs> but I feel like kids are just sort of like the ultimate version of that. They don't yes. care about like the stuff we're so in our heads about and we think is so important. They care about like, are you having fun? Are you yeah. nice? I'm hungry. I'm cold. Yeah. Are you here with me? Like not even physically. Because, I mean, and I told, yeah. that's been a huge thing. It's like, okay, these babies, like two, the two of them were born and the other one, they're all young. So it's all during COVID. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm missing out on this freaking connection with them. And like, you know, but they just, are you present in the moment yeah. with them? They're like, hey, are you here? Are you going to yeah. be here? And even if it's through FaceTime or me. through Zoom, yeah. Show me that you want to interact with me. And it's, it really does. Yeah. It really, I can have the shittiest day. And if one of those moms, I mean, and honestly they do because they know if I'm struggling every so often, my cousin or my friend will just, just two days ago, my cousin sent me a bunch of pictures and was like, just in case you need it today. And genuinely, I was like, I'm a fucking rock star now. Mm -hmm. I, I literally could conquer the world. Do you need me to solve world peace? I got it now. Like I'm good. God, what power babies have. Oof, that's like God. my revolutionary take. Turns out <laughs> kids give adults hope. Imagine. <laughs>